0: Hi my name is EJ Dawson, I write sci-fi, fantasy, paranormal and romance and I'm excited to be invited to the Australian Book Lovers podcast for a special panel on sci-fi writing. I look forward to talking to you the hosts and other guests about the future of sci-fi writing, pun intended. Looking forward to seeing you there. Once upon a time,
1: welcome to Australian Book Lovers, your
2: destination for imagination. Yeka, a big warm welcome to everyone and a huge thank you for joining us for the Australian Book Lovers podcast. Our mission is to bring fabulous Australian and Indigenous literature that spans a whole range of genres to book lovers around the globe as well as fantastic resources and information for passionate authors looking to write their next bestseller. I'm Veronica Strachan, a.k.a. V.E. Pattern, fantasy, memoir and picture book writer, reader and one of your co-founders and hosts for today, this episode number 58, coming to you from Wurundjeri, Warrior country.
0: And I am Darren Kazanko, dystopian science fiction and horror author, avid reader, which of course makes me a book lover, <laughs> and one of your co-founders and co-hosts for the Australian Book Lovers podcast, coming to you today from Kana Country on a uh, slightly chilly day. Definitely yes. the uh, kisses from Antarctica are still coming aplenty. That uh, is a
2: nice way to think about it, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, think
0: if, I think the same could be said for Tasmania and Melbourne, I think mm. when those... Um, Arctic winds come up, you know, there's, a, yes, they're bone-rattlingly cold and freezing and, um, yeah, makes things a little bit uncomfortable if you get caught short out in that weather. But at the same time, it, how fresh is it? It is like coming from such a stunning place, that weather. So, yes, yes I like to think of those winds as uh, Antarctic kisses. But, yes, come mm. today from China Country for the fabulous, fantastic episode number 58. So we yes. are still charging along.
2: We are, and in fact, wanted to share with our listeners that we have had more than 4,000 downloads of the podcast, so thank you, not only from Darren and myself, but from all the authors that you have listened to share their work and tell you about their inspiration and talk to you about the what they think of life, the universe and everything, which is 95 plus hours of listening entertainment can you believe 95 hours Darren
0: yes I can believe it uh, because as we were discussing just a moment (laughs) ago um, 95 hours of finished product obviously usually you can times that by three so yes give or take 280 hours of editing so I don't know how how many weeks that is so Uh, so about two and a half months I suppose but two and a half months of solid editing and uh, but that means you know, a wonderful opportunity, A, to learn the craft slowly. Mm-hmm. I'm still very much a beginner, but mm-hmm. it's just a fantastic opportunity to learn the craft of podcasting, of editing. I love, you know, discovering new ways to use these, you know, fantastic digital tools that we have at our fingertips that, you know, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah, it can be uh, a little bit of a learning curve sometimes, but, mm-hmm. oh, it's so great. And obviously, you know, the, the huge motivation and the fueling energy Behind all of that, of course, is the you know just the fantastic opportunity to talk with so many you know amazing Australian authors to chat with you about all things books and yes. themes and Anything. and all sorts. It's Anything it's books. just wonderful. So, <laughs> uh, it you know, and I just I love the idea that moving forward we we, hopefully we get bigger and better but i'll learn more we'll learn more and uh you know and i hope you know our of course i hope our listenership grows and and i I hope that uh you know book lovers and authors out there find things that perk their interest and, and maybe you know motivate them into new pathways whether it be writing or trying different approaches uh in in their story creation or discovering different authors or trying different genres so it's all about learning it's all about fun and it's all about adventure and uh but, you know, it's funny with the technology we have at our fingertips today. A really good friend of mine uh, was over the other night and we were just playing around with this, some studio recording equipment um, in preparation for uh, possibly some, some audio-based short stories coming mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. And But I did have on file... Uh, He he was a a gentleman that I played in, uh, played basically live with a bit of of heavy metal for probably close to 20 years, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, on and off. But um, we were sort of having a laugh because... I played back a recording from some of our very original jams, going back to probably 1994, uh, that were recorded on a cassette player in the in the corner of a room.
2: Oh no! That
0: I I had managed to get this cassette not so long ago, and then transfer it digital, you know, to to a digital file. Um, The recording was. You know, hey, the songs I think were fantastic, but the other recording was absolutely atrocious. And to oh. uh, and to now have all these tools at your disposal is an amazing thing. So that's my little gushing about technology out of the way. But yes, episode and I have to say
2: that you have done an amazing job and been able to salvage what. You know, sometimes we're difficult, uh, technically, difficult recordings as, you know, people's internet wavers in and out or, you know, various bits and pieces and pings and all of those kind of things. And hopefully we've come up with a sound. I'm going to say hopefully we. Did you see that, Royal We? Uh, Come up with a sound that people uh, do enjoy. So...
0: Good yes. on you, Darren, well, the, for there is, all those well, things. Oh, thank you. But, yeah, of course, with fantastic technology comes, you know, glitches that we all are, um, experience at one time or another. Yes. So that's, that's yes. those wonderful challenges yeah. as well. How do we work with them? So definitely. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And really, you know, timing and, and technology, uh, even for the sci-fi panel that we had a bit of a chat with, meant that we had a slightly different-looking panel. But fear not, timing and technology, we will get another sci-fi panel uh, happening to pick up those other bodies as well so yeah
0: that's that's right always a learning to
2: forward curve. to but and, this is number 58
0: and 58 and represents uh, 50 well that's 58 reasons for me to keep on going keep on learning and and I can't wait to keep on rolling through and, and chatting with so many different authors
2: excellent now I'm going to give you the bingo call for 58 before you tell us what its um, deeper meaning is so 58 make them wait
0: hmm. <laughs> Interesting, so I guess I, I expect uh, doctors and dentists to have that. Uh, I can expect them to have you know those big gold medallions like uh, rap style <laughs> Fist, fifty eight. They know the meaning, but <laughs> most of us don't. And then, uh, they um, see across the room at the shopping centre someone else with that fifty eight around the neck, and they just give a, a like a little knowing nod. But, yeah, <laughs> make them wait. <laughs> no, I love dentists and I love doctors.
2: You love? Oh, yeah. well, well. Yeah, but, you know. I, I know her and, you know, friends with lots of doctors. Um, dentists, not so much. I've met some in my, you know, during my health career. I must say as a young child, they were not my favourite health professional. Let's just say dentists and orthodontists, um, having been born with uh, very protruding uh, two front teeth, mostly because I was, would have, you know... Um, have them stuck on my lip while I was reading or writing. So, yeah, there you go. But anyway, stop that.
0: Well, I say I love them both, but what I really mean is they're the last people I want as an enemy.
2: Oh. <laughs> so that's, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies close. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. I've seen Tell marathon, us about number 58.
2: You've got what, what, something?
0: to Possibly. tell us about 58? Well, every number is special in its own unique way yes. and uh, 58 is very special also. Uh, but I was actually interested to read that the there were several civilizations apparently native to Central America or South America mm-hmm. that actually believed in the existence of 58 original sins. Right. And so that therefore the number 58 um, basically became a number that symbolized misfortune. And right. yeah, so it was, it was curious because that... It was, the myth goes that Aztec oracles uh, If they stumbled across that number in nature And that the example that I read Was uh, that one of the oracles uh, Found 54 shattered pieces of gold Oh sorry, 58 shattered pieces mm-hmm. of gold They they believe that that would uh, Well, it basically says Disaster is about to, you know Come upon them So, yeah. interesting that, yeah. yeah But at the same time See, this is where you've got to really Keep your open mind Because on one hand It spells disaster and misfortune On the other hand, apparently number 58 is focusing on creating a solid and secure future Ah. using a playful approach to the process. There you go. There we go. So the number 58 apparently signifies business, focus, adventure, pragmatism, conscientiousness, and expressing personal freedom. It also signifies building a base for the future and the joy of experiencing new things So the number 58, it is said, is very pragmatic and knows the right way to accomplish a goal. And people who resonate with this number, so that is us right now for this episode, often change their methods of doing things to achieve optimum results, which is very strange because we were actually having that conversation off air about changing things up to keep the show fresh and add new elements. So there we go. Maybe my jesting or, you know, subtle sarcasm about the science behind the numbers mm. maybe maybe I have to sort of dial that back a little bit because yes. there we go either that or well I'll, if I see anything 58 in nature and then disaster happens then I'm, I'm all in but uh, <laughs> at the moment I'm still I'll just pull back a little bit because yeah definitely of course you yeah, know we are an organic podcast and we're always looking to change things to try and make it you know the best possible experience for all of our fantastic listeners out there. So mm-hmm. that is 58. But as far as in the good old Australia in 1958.
2: Yes. Tell us you, what was happening.
0: Well, did you know that on the 14th of January, Qantas Airways introduced a round-the-world air service from Australia to London? Ooh. There we go. So the world was opening up. And now the Cahill Expressway in Sydney opened. Ah,
2: yes. Yeah, Yeah,
0: so which apparently was the first uh, true freeway in Australia, which Mm. is pretty cool. This one is for your hometown, 15th of April. The Monash University is founded in Melbourne. Ah,
2: there you go, yes.
0: And the 19th, well here's something kind of related to Melbourne, but kind of on the other side of the country. It'll all make sense in a second. Now on the 19th of July, the last tram service ran in Perth. Ah. So interesting. So they stopped the trams, and, and obviously Melbourne kept Melbourne them. Well, kept well, going. Yeah, well, so they are Natalie. the
2: lifeblood of our city and inner suburbs for yes. sure. Yes.
0: Now a very important day, the thirtieth of September, mm-hmm. the Anzac Day Act of nineteen fifty eight received royal assent, which made Anzac Day a national public holiday in Australia. There you go. Yeah. So I, I was surprised to sort of learn about that. Now, as far as when it comes to music, Johnny O'Keefe had his first hit with Wild One. Radio Station Two UE published the first Australian Top Forty. <laughs> so there we go. That, that's, uh, that's I guess the, you could could say the beginning of pop. Popular pop music, popular culture, rock music. Yeah, I don't know how you do good contributor. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so because I. I mean, I was manipulated by the top forty all through my <laughs> you know, younger years. If it was if yeah. I was in the top ten, I had to go get the cast single or the single record. Or, yeah, 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 Or sit there with my pause record on the radio and uh, hopefully. Record it without the damn DJ coming in or out at the beginning. Ah, round. there you go. Yes.
2: Back to the old cassette player. Yes. Press. A lot. Record and start at the same time. Yep.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, record, play, and hit pause. Yes. And then, you unpa- and then yeah. you've
2: got to un- unpause and hope you've unclicked it. That's yeah, right.
0: The, the correct gap. Yeah. yeah. But I was, I was such a nerd. I used to put my uh, little tape recorder against the TV and record movies so I could listen to them in the bedroom. But anyway, that's for another <laughs> story. Uh, but as, as far as inventions, it, it was yes. pretty, pretty profound. Now, I know we've talk, spoken about this pr- invention before on in previous podcasts, but it was in 1958 that the Australian engineer, Dr. David Warren, uh, of Melbourne's Aeronautical Research Laboratories, constructed the world's first flight recorder, AKA black box, which mm. is actually orange, obviously, yes. so that it yes. can be found amongst the wreckage. <laughs> I but knew it's that. a, That's weird, the, isn't it? Yeah, the black box. So, yeah, very, very important. And But doing a little bit of research on the flight recorder, it looks as though there were several attempts, you know, not just here in Australia, to kind of perfect and, and, and have something as functional as the black box. But it was, uh, yeah, Mr. David Warren of Melbourne who came, came across the finish line and, and uh, has given the world such, uh, you know, an important piece of technology. Mm. And there we go, 1958 in Australia. Wow.
2: 1958 in Australia. So uh, good for anybody who wasn't born at that time and also for any of our international listeners. There you have hopefully some information that you might get in a quiz.
0: Mm, That's right. Except I was put off by two games because... Going back again, I guess, to childhood, do you remember when Trivial Pursuit was such a... uh, Oh, yes, yes. We've got
2: several varieties of Trivial Pursuit, yes.
0: Yes, we got the, I guess, the normal, not the easy one, the normal one that's quite quite hard and uh, it was all excited and I kind of remember one of my first you know landed on something and it was a science one I was all excited and the question was how many golf balls are there on the moon <laughs> how am I, I don't like this game oh. anymore how am I supposed to know how many <laughs> golf balls are on the moon this is not you know uh, common knowledge or it's not even the knowledge I'd get um. on a you know even in a bizarre conversation because ha- <laughs> how how so I knew be, moving forward beyond that so story. how many
2: are there can you remember was uh, did that imprinted on your mind
0: well, I've, I had the number three imprinted on my mind, but I think no. uh, I think that I was incorrect or it's changed, I don't know because no. I think If I anybody
2: think... does know, please feel free to yeah. uh, write in and tell us how many golf balls are there on the moon.
0: Well, with the power of technology, <laughs> I'll just go bling, bling, bling. Yeah,
2: and you'll Google that and before you know it,
0: so the power of technology, there are two golf balls on the there moon. There you go. So my uh, memory imprint was a little bit fuzzy. It's
2: a little bit fuzzy, yeah. There you go. That's so, true.
0: you know, easy with today's magic technology, you know, but back then you get asked the most absurd questions. Mm. Um, you know, And it was, a, yeah, definitely a board game of frustration.
2: We did do some good fun quizzes over Zoom during the lockdowns in Melbourne because uh, my kids were in the city in two different spots and of course you know we're up here in in regional Australia and we did do some general knowledge quizzes and then some quizzes that were like particular to the person like you know what is Fraser's favorite color well even Fraser wasn't sure about that uh, but, but we did do some good fun quizzes and it's nice to stretch your brain in slightly different ways and use you know, different aspects of recall and memory and deduction and those kind of things so yeah, good fun quizzes
0: Yes, and I have partaken in the occasional quiz knowledge at, at, at uh, local bars yep. so no, they're always good fun and like I said, push it makes you have to think about uh, areas of knowledge that you probably have ignored for a long time
2: Indeed, so, yes. indeed. But speaking of knowledge, do we have some news? How about we have some news? Let's get into
0: some news. I like that idea. <laughs>
2: All right, so a couple of general newsworthy items and then I'm going to, you know, share some of the meanings and idioms, some Australian idioms again as we continue to educate our audience uh, or remind them sometimes. So the Text Prize 2022 shortlist was announced, which is fantastic. And so this is for young, adult and children's writing and it's worth $10,000. So I'll let you know who the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on the short list so and look it's interesting just to read the really brief description just to see what is i guess making the cut for young adult and children's writing so bellamy jones and the lost tree heart by emily beck is a middle grade about 12 year old bellamy jones who must participate in a global robotics tournament with her sister's hand-built robot in a quest to save her family's home i like it
0: I like that too because yeah. sorry to interrupt Veronica yeah. this is a, one of those moments of synchronicity yeah um, because playing when I have my little bit of downtime, as yeah. you know I love playing a game where you got to run from killers yeah and <laughs> yes. uh, so and sometimes I can't help but giggle if I see a friend in trouble and running yeah. while I'm safe and sound <laughs> and for some reason the, the new thing is to laugh and go run Bellamy run because oh. we, we remembered Bellamy from the, the goodies oh. and I hadn't Heard that word or said that word in years and then yeah. here you are just a day Sing or two it later. Again. Bellamy. It's back. There we are. Yes, there you go. Synchronicity.
2: Yeah. How to be normal by Ange Crawford is a YA. A contemporary novel about friendships, tightly kept secrets, and a quirky main character figuring out who she is. Hmm. Third one, one thing you can feel. By Robbie Taylor Hunt is a YA. It's a dark fantasy about the power of friendship and confronting your deepest fears. Nice. I like that. Year of the Dog by Kate McCabe is a middle grade about neurodivergent eleven year old Lewis, who is keen to prove to his parents that he can look that he can look after a dog on his own. Oh wow. I'm nice
0: wondering. to have yeah, yeah, nice
2: to have um, stories about neurodivergent kids. In the mainstream, it's good.
0: And well, of course, we've had the the, the fantastic Kate Foster. The fabulous Kate Foster. Kate. Yeah, who is If I remember correctly, the uh, the star of the show in that uh, in her yes. story is an eleven year old boy as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's, there it's we go. Really More game. synchronicity at work. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so the next one is Finding Liminus, the Sudden Tree. By Bria McCarthy That's a YA A fantasy novel That reimagines Australian landscapes And explores Finding courage It's set in a world Where giant weather monsters Called seasons Have caused destruction So yeah
0: Well that's interesting
2: I love that we've got So many fantasies too Let's be honest They're my favourite Okay The Collector of Gifts By Jamie Ramjan is a YA which follows Willa who finds nothing is as it seems in the empire of Eden where every child is placed in an orphanage to develop their unique mystical gift so that they can help save their world mm, tricky uh, I do like the name Willa that reminds me of the lifetime of impossible days which is by Tabitha Bird. that is a fantastic book Uh, And also just a a magical realism kind of fantasy portal one. Yeah, really nice. Anyway, The Collector of Gifts by Jamie ramgen The final shortlisted book is Let's Never Speak of This Again by Megan Williams. And it's a YA about 16-year-old best friends Abby and Ella who discover a shift in their friendship when new girl Chloe comes into the picture. So there you go. So the winner, along with the recipient of the Steph Bow Mentorship, uh, also chosen for the short list will be announced in late June. So there you go.
0: And very so very good. That was uh, all YA? Was uh YA and some middle grade
2: and some middle grade, Yeah, okay, so, middle
0: grade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: which is fantastic. So um, thank you to the text prize, which is really good. Little factual account, US audiobooks and this is a pick pickup from books and publishing, which is um, certainly uh, if you're into books, if you're authors and writers, etc um and even publishers, I uh, hopefully you are subscribed to this, but that they've mentioned that the US audiobook market recorded its 10th straight year of double-digit growth in 2021. So that this is data from the Audio Publishers Association uh, showing that the market grew 25% compared to 2020. There you go. So this has been reported in Publishing Perspectives. So audiobook revenue in 2021 totaled US $1.6 billion, which is Australian $2.2 billion. So that's nearly 74,000 audiobook titles were published last year, up 6% on 2020. So, and I'm going to talk about me in a minute, but the APA uh, executives so the Audio Publishers Association, Executive Director Michelle Cobb, ...told Publishing Perspectives that science fiction and fantasy narrowly edged out mysteries, thrillers and suspense as the most popular genre... ...well, of course, with me buying as many as I can, uh, with romance and general fiction not far behind... The romance genre experienced the most growth, up 75%, followed by self-help, 34%, and science fiction, 32%. So as opposed to some details that we talked about on the science fiction panel, part one, where there was a bit of a decline in some areas of science fiction, audiobooks, they are rocking it. And the sales survey includes data from 28 publishers, uh, including Audible, Hachette, HarperCollins, Macmillan, Penguin, Random House and Simon & Schuster. So not everybody, of course, but a big chunk of the market. So I thought that was certainly worth sharing.
0: Yeah, I think it's a topic that I'd love to explore, take a deep dive into on one of our upcoming podcasts as we Mm. move forward. Mm. Because I think it is... You know, on one hand, it's, it's, it's so prolific out there, all these audiobooks, you've got Audible and, uh, you know, every, every, so many different services there to, to download audiobooks. And, and you're right, there's, you know, it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful aspects of audiobooks. One, obviously, the ease of technology. You can uh, be listening to it in your car and then you can mm. transfer straight to your phone and all those things. So that's all fantastic. But ultimately, it's also, um, you know, from what I've found just in my general experience with people, audiobooks, that you know, they're reading books that they wouldn't normally have time to read, um, yes, and so this is true. It's, they're rediscovering the love of reading, albeit mm. in a slightly different way. Someone mm. reading it to them, mm. but still, nonetheless, they're they're, they're you know, the, the story still comes through, and the themes still come through, and the same food for thought will arrive. But so, I think it's fantastic that it's letting people that maybe don't normally have the time to read who really want to read and maybe. Uh, rediscovering the joy of reading through audiobooks. Yeah, and
2: access to stories in those other worlds, yeah. Mm, but yeah. at the
0: same time, as an author, if you wake up tomorrow or today, if, depending if you slept in, because <laughs> 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 you were burning the midnight candle all night, uh, the yeah. midnight candle, but, yeah. but um, you know, if you if you wake up and say, I want to do an audiobook, it's, it's a style. Yes. you start. Yes, know, And, they, yeah. you know, just what? But, and it's certainly
2: doable and there's certainly different models for of hybrid models and traditional publishers have their, Um, you know, particular processes and companies and voice Mm. actors that they use. And look, the the voice is incredibly important. So I am a recent convert to audiobooks, probably the last 12 months or so. Some of that being that, you know, long walks uh, on uh, my own during lockdown, you know, when you can go out and have your exercise. And what I've found is that the voice is incredibly important. Even if I think I would love to read the book, if the voice doesn't, hit my ears right then I just can't listen I have to move along and find another one mm. and it's it's really interesting because you know I use the little you know uh, earbuds uh, so that not the rest of the neighbourhood needs to hear uh, the story and I've found that I am really tuned into hearing Australian voices that almost regardless of what they're narrating whether it's the Franny Fisher murders or whether it's um, Tracy Harding's fantasy series, you know, whatever that might be. If it's an Australian voice, it feels very comfortable and it's fine. When I've had some British voices, I've been listening to the Rivers of London, his voice, again, really lovely, works well. There are some of the American voices which, again, brilliant, I'm listening to Vicious by V.E. Schwab at the moment, absolutely fine. But then there there are the occasional voices that I go, ah, no, I just – can't listen to this, even if the book is really good. It's almost as though it just kind of pings, I don't know, against a really sensitive eardrum or or something, or maybe my brain just doesn't like the sound of it. So, yeah. But I listen to my audiobooks through the library because if I was to take out another book subscription, I think I might, you know, be uh, having to give up the house. But so our local library uses about three different audiobook uh, platforms and uh, I think BorrowBox and Libby are the ones that I tend to use and you can borrow the books for a week and then you can it takes a little bit longer usually for me to read them depending on how often I walk but it, it's easy then you can read them you can oh, sorry listen to them you can review them you can send them back if you like them you can get them out again uh, you still have to reserve them if they're pretty popular and you know unfortunately some of the more popular books don't always have their audiobooks out at the same time so Uh, Yeah, sometimes you have to wait, but that's my audiobook experience. That's interesting because to audiobooks,
0: I do. I've usually downloaded them, um, Mm. and yeah, I understand what you mean about the voice being important. Obviously, Mm. the voice is going to be important. Uh, Everybody has a different ear for different voices, and. I think that, you know it's just one of those new elements of literature that is uh, you know it's not a symptom but uh, an accessory to today's technology because mm. you know uh, I guess that one thing that comes up is you want a voice that is not going to get in the way of the story so it's well quite, this is it's true. Quite got to be invisible yeah. in but also wow way. but
2: also I'd I'd say one that's able to get into the story so. Cobner, who reads uh, Ben Aronovich's Rivers of London, he does all the voices and he does all the accents because, you know, as you know, in very small, uh, you know, the United Kingdom, British Isles, etc., Scotland, Ireland, there are so many different accents that, you know, 20K up the road are completely different and he does them all so beautifully and yet I've read others where, sorry, listen to others who are a little bit more um, just the story So I would say to be able to get into the character is lovely because sometimes it's hard to know who's saying what when you're just listening to it as opposed to if you see italics, you know it's an internal thought, that kind of thing. Um, But look, and I will say also that my mum was always much better at reading stories than my dad. He got better as he got older, but we would always say, can you read it, Mum? Because Dad's really boring. <laughs> so, but, yeah, and maybe that's where I got my love of listening for stories. So, yeah, there you go.
0: And I'm just curious because I've, I've never borrowed a uh, audio book from the library. Mm. Is it a download? In which case, is it got a time limit on it? Or you it does have C- a time it? limit, yes. Right, so it's
2: it's a download. You can listen to it from their website or you can download it and uh, it downloads sort of chapter by chapter. Um, and then you can do that all at once so that you're kind of ready to go. And then they send your messages, you know, you better renew or we're going to um, delete it off all your devices, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, so just you send it back.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, Mm. it's a digital file. So I would have thought it would be a simple case of, the, the file will know when it's reached its end marker yep. and, the, and then it will just disintegrate, you know, like the old uh, yep. secret so message. Yeah, so you can renew.
2: A- if you don't quite finish the story, you can renew it. I think you can renew it, you know, like most library things, you know, one or two times mm. um, to make sure you get it. But there you go. All right, so that was my news, which is... Interesting. I wanted now to just before we do, uh, you know, jump into your news, we are up to cue with the meanings and origins of Australian words and idioms. Many thanks to the Australian National University School of Literature, Languages and Linguistics. So here's one that will be a favourite of yours, and I don't think it's going to be a stretch for you to tell
0: me. (laughs) Okay.
2: Do you know what a quokka is?
0: Oh, yes, I know what a quokka is. Never had the uh, the opportunity to have fun and party with one in real life, but I (laughs) have seen them. They are cheeky
2: little blighters, let me tell you. I've seen them over on Rottnest Island, yes. So for those who don't know uh, and who haven't seen our uh, little emblem, our little mascot for comedy, uh, the comedy genre on uh, Australian Book Lovers, a quokka is a small, short-tailed wallaby. Its Latin name is Cetonyx brachiurus uh, of South Western Australia. Uh, including Rottnest and Bald Islands, and these islands are free of quokka predators such as foxes and cats, which means they can, you know, breed uh, quite comfortably. And the quokka was first recorded by Europeans in 1855, and it comes from the the Noongar, uh, the Aboriginal language of this area. So quokka is about the size of a cat. They have long, greyish brown fur and rounded ears, and they look quite cute. But of course, they're not. They are wild animals, so you know, please don't try and feed them. Uh, it's not a good thing.
0: However, they've, they're very famous, I understand, for being the absolute superstars of photos, aren't they?
2: Oh, they love a photo, yes. Yeah, they, <laughs> they say, love yeah. a photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely gorgeous. And I've got another Q word, which is another, oh, well, it's qual.
0: Oh, okay, quoll. So this- yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's uh, now most pe- most listeners out there won't know what I'm talking about when I say that uh that's actually a bad word at the moment. That's based on a short stinted government contracting job I did. Uh, right. so but uh, that's All right. All right, we'll other, just leave yeah, that one slide, so, shall um, we? No, 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 no. <laughs> but I think qual the what the, the when I hear qual it's an acronym for something that ah, I suspect is very okay. different to what you're going to think.
2: The, what I'm going to say indeed because I'm going to say qual is any of several marsupials of the genus Daziurus of Australia and New Guinea. So, quolls are cat-sized as well, marsupials with long tails, pointed snouts, brown fur, and distinctive white spots. I do like a quoll. They are nocturnal and they hunt insects, birds, and small mammals. And the word quoll derives from the Gugu Yimithur, an Aboriginal, and apologies for the incorrect pronunciation. Uh, That is an an Aboriginal language of northeastern Queensland. Joseph Banks, the botanist who came out with James Cook's uh, voyage of discovery, discovery, um, European uh, discovery in 1768 to 17. 17- 71 recorded it in his endeavor journal and when the that was when the endeavor was beached for repairs on the site of the present-day Cooktown however qual was not the name that the European settlers used they use native cat until the end of the mid 19th century so hmm. from the 1960s the word qual replaced native cat and today qual is the, the dominant term uh, you know using the local uh, traditional owners language which is excellent.
0: Oh, there you go. Hmm.
2: So that's probably enough for me. That's Q. So do you have some new books for us this week?
0: Well, actually, I thought today, being that uh, our special guest for the interview, Mr. Andrew Roth, who we'll be chatting about very shortly, uh, considering uh, his latest release, The Teeth of a Slow Machine, Mm -hmm. which um, we'll be talking a lot about, is an anthology of short stories, 17 to be precise. I actually thought in this new segment I would run through just a few uh, short story competitions that uh, are closing soon across Australia that uh, anybody with a pen, pencil, you know, dictator get ready yeah, you can jump on in and, and have a shot. So the first one I'd like to uh, let our listeners know about is from the Society of Women Writers, New South Wales, and mm-hmm. it's the uh, it's the what well, it's the Society of Women Writers, New South Wales National Writing Competition for 2022. Now it is open to uh, all women writers who are Australian citizens or permanent residents, age 18 years or over, and now it is available to members and non-members. The closing date for this national writing competition is. 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on the 30th of June so you've uh, still got a few weeks there to pen a little masterpiece mm-hmm. so it is for basically uh, So the prizes award are going to be for short story for fiction with the winner receiving 500 highly commended $250 and commended $100 short story non-fiction same thing again $500, 250 and 100 Poetry there's actually a $300 prize tag for the winner $200 mm-hmm. For the highly commended and 100 for the commended. And winning entries will also be considered for inclusion in the Society's centenary anthology to be published in 2025. Excellent. So, yeah, pretty cool. Now, there is a, a fee per entry for this one. So, short story fiction, non fiction, there is a fee of for non-members and $30 for members. And for poetry submissions, it is $15 per poem uh, or $40 for three, four members or $20 per poem for non-members now to learn more you simply visit women writers New South Wales or NSW so it's short for New South Wales, dot O-R-G, and uh, follow the links So that was the uh, yeah the women writers of New South Wales national writing or should I say national story you yeah, national writing competition um, ending on the 30th of June. There you go. End of the financial year. Good time to end. Yes, yes. Now here's one a little bit up. Well, I would say up your alley, but we shall we say local to your region, kind of. Uh, I know you're a little bit outside of Melbourne, but the city of Melbourne's Lord Mayor's creative writing. Awards of 2022 is currently open. Mm-hmm. Now this one you know it's kind of shutting the door to a lot of Australia because it is open to writers living in Victoria only. Mm-hmm. However that uh, it's, we've got some fantastic listeners and, some fantastic and many Victoria, listeners so many fantastic writers in Victoria. And many of our listeners are in
2: Victoria. <laughs> yes that's right.
0: And uh, So the basically it's the Dorothy Porter Award for Poetry. There is a narrative non-fiction short story set in Melbourne life writing Life Writing Award, sorry, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander writers and self-told stories by writers living with a disability. Now, it is um, basically that. So, for the poetry, is up to one hundred lines. Mm-hmm. The narrative non-fiction, no more than five thousand words. So, we are talking short stories. The short story set in Melbourne, again, no no more than five thousand words. Life Writing Award for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Writers, no more than 5,000 words. And likewise for self-told stories by writers living with a disability, no more than 5,000 words. I cannot make a submission, but if I did, my short story set in Melbourne would be Melbourne. Today it is cold. The end.
2: Okay. Oh. <laughs> That's a bit cruel. It might be true, but it's a bit
0: cruel. <laughs> P.S. Written in summer, two thousand twenty. <laughs> no, I'm not joking. But that, so a fantastic opportunity for authors in Victoria, yep. and that is the City of Melbourne's Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Awards, two thousand twenty-two. Now, winning entries will receive a two thousand dollar category prize, which is pretty awesome. And the overall winner, this one's really good. The overall winner of the Lord Mayor's Creative Writing Award will win an additional $10,000. So if that's not a bit of a, a, a fuel in the tank to get the pen uh, catching fire across the page, I don't know what it is. Mm. The closing date, like the other one, is the 30th of June. I'm going to put the link for the all of these short story competition in our show notes because some Good of them plan. are easy and some of them are a bit long. Yeah. But uh, as far I won't read you out the whole one, but if you did want to sort of jump on now while you're listening, you could probably find your way by going to www.melbourne.vic.gov.au backslash community backslash libraries backslash what's on and then what's on with a dash in between. I'm sure you'll be able to get to there but otherwise I'll be putting the entire link in our show notes. Now here's another one from the Australian Catholic University Poetry Prize. So a little bit, not quite a short story but uh, you know, more for all those uh, poets out there. Now, this is open to anyone enrolled at any Australian university Mm -hmm. Uh, across Australia, obviously, Australian University. Yes, you can see I am on fire today. You are. Uh, (laughs) 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 Poems cannot exceed or must not, shall we say, not exceed 60 lines. There is an entry fee of $25 per poem. Now, this one, I, I sort of um, did sort of open my eyes a little bit for a second because, uh, you know, the Australian Catholic University Poetry Prize, mm. okay, it's, it's not something I would um, think would be, you know, the prize would be too big, you know, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's just a poetry prize. First prize is $10,000. Wow. It's, second prize is $5,000. and third prize is $3,000. So I think that is amazing. That's pretty
2: significant. I think you'd yeah. have to give that a, a damn good go.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Now I I can't remember off the top of my head but I pretty I'm gonna hazard a guess that um, the theme is hope. Uh, so, but you can learn more by going to ACU, so obviously Australian Catholic University, acu.edu.au, and look for that Australian Catholic University Poetry Prize. Um, Entries close 4th of July, so there is plenty of opportunity. Plenty of time, yep. Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned already, there is an entry free of $25 per poem, but with, uh, you know, what's that, $18,000 at a minimum of prize money up for grabs, that is, uh, you know, Pretty alluring poetry competition there. Yeah,
2: that's good. It's nice to see some, I won't say some funding, but some opportunities for, you know, support come in for the arts. Yeah, fantastic.
0: Yeah, 100%. And once again, that's open to anyone enrolled at any Australian university. Mm. Now, to keep the short story competitions coming, there is the 2022 Rochelle Prize for Emerging Writers. Entries are open to unpublished writers of adult fiction and adult narrative nonfiction. And the prize, well, here we go, it seems to be a lucky number. Winning entry is $10,000. It And a 12-month...
2: Maybe it doesn't go so far these days. You know, we have to think about that because, you know, $10,000 to me still sounds like a lot of money. But when you think about if the writer is using it to support themselves so that they can do more creation, then it's probably only a few months worth, isn't it, by the time they pay their bills Mm. and feed themselves Mm. and...
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, $10,000, that's a good desk. And depending on which company you go with, a few really cool helicopter rides. I think that's... <laughs> you know. I don't think that's... But anyway,
2: uh, there might be some yeah. criteria. Sorry, go on. Tell us oh, more about this uh, This particular
0: festival. Absolutely. So yeah. as I mentioned, the winning entry is $10,000, but it, also a 12-month mentorship with Hachette Australia. Mm, so Great. Um, yeah, so that's very cool. I always feel funny when you say writers of adult fiction because if I said... Um, You know, director of adult movies. What would (laughs) come to mind? We don't want any of your movies, Darren. Yeah, moving on. Writer of adult (laughs) fiction. (laughs) So, the first three chapters of the work with a maximum word length of twenty thousand words. This is, uh, I'm assuming, the submission uh, criteria. A one page synopsis, a chapter breakdown of the rest of the work, no more than two A4 pages long. Closing date is the eighth of July, two thousand twenty two. Of course. And you can learn more by going to or visiting EmergingWritersFestival.org.au. And that was yes. the 2022 Rochelle Prize for Emerging Writers. Very good. But the list doesn't end there. Oh. So, I mean, it is winter. It's no better time than to get your pen down, as in get your pen to work, should I say. And, uh, yeah, get these short stories and submit them. You never yeah. know what's going to happen. So. Or
2: go to a, a festival because there are a stack of festivals on.
0: Yeah, I think maybe we'll have to spotlight that on our next news. Maybe that's um, both of our homework to do.
2: Yeah, I've got it right here in front of me because I forgot that I was going to mention it. But you're telling us all about short stories, so let's just do that because then I want to get on to um, listening to your interview with Andrew Roth.
0: Yes, yes. Well, I've got two more uh, short stories to let everyone know about. Yep. One is the Burundara Literary Awards, Mm -hmm. and that is an open short story competition for short stories word length between 1,500 and 3,000 words. First place receives $1,500. Second place, $1,000. Third place, $500. Um, there's also a Keith Carroll Award $500 given to the best entry from the Burundara resident. Mm-hmm. Now, the it doesn't say there that there's any sort of um, admission fee. Mm-hmm. Closing date of 29th of July. Now, again, that's a little bit of a tricky web link, but I will have that there. So it's just one click on your mouse from our show notes. Yes. And the last little, uh, little, what should, should I say, the the awesomely lucky last uh, short story uh, competition that I'd like to highlight is the 2022 Sydney Hammond Memorial Short Story Competition. So first prize is $250 plus Hawkeye Publishing gift voucher plus anthology cover based on the winner's story. Shortlisted and longlisted are announced plus top 40 published in an anthology. The maximum is 1,000 words for the short story competition. The theme, Water Under the Bridge, is a $15 entry and closing date is the 1st of August. So that's gives you quite a bit of time to mm. consider the water under the bridge and what mm. that might mean to learn more you can visit au, where you'll find all the information for that one very good so, so i think i honestly think you know winter when it's cold it gets dark early and uh, you know if you wanted to write a short story if you have written short stories you know there's there's so many you know amazing opportunities out there of course, there can only be one winner, but just the process of maybe, you know, putting you back to the wall and saying, right, I've got three weeks to come up with a maybe one, two, three short stories and send off the best or send them off all. You've got a whole range of different competitions out there and you just never know.
2: You do just never know. It might but- be what you've been looking for. So if you've been a reader up till now and you think, you know what, perhaps I could have a go by just at least starting with a short story. You had an idea rattling around in your head. Give it a shot. Get out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, for example, one I might be submitting would be, short story, I can't send that Melbourne one, but for Adelaide it would be, I arrived in Adelaide, it was awesome by Darren. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have to be long.
2: (laughs) I think you're talking about microfiction now, so let's just move on. Now, I did mention the literary festival, so I should just say that there is a fabulous website that's put together, it has been put together for a number of years now by uh, writer Jason Narung, uh, Vampires in the Sunburn Country, and he puts up the Australian Literary Festival calendar. So he gathers all of the bits and pieces. He puts them in months. The links are all there, and it's incredibly useful. So uh, you can find, like June, there's just an absolute... Swamp of festivals to go to in June all over the country. Denmark and WA, Words on the Way, Central Coast, New South, Bellingham, Port Ferry, Woodend, Comic Con in Melbourne. Uh, There's trade conferences in Sydney, Winter Words in Beechworth. Oh, that's lovely. Maybe I'll go to that one. Emerging Writers Festival, which you mentioned. Supernova. There's the Williamstown Literary Festival. There's the Disrupted Festival Ideas in Perth. Uh, that's later in June. The Glen Ira Storytelling Festival, the Outback Writers Festival in Queensland, the Northern Territory Writers Festival, which has been rescheduled a couple of times because of COVID. So please go along to that if you are anywhere near the Northern Territory, Darwin, uh, at the end of June. Uh, the Kids Wire Festival in Sydney and Supernova is over in Perth this year as well. So there you go. Hmm. So we'll put that link on the uh, show notes so that you can actually have a look at Jason's calendar and pick up all the details there.
0: Fantastic. So yes, we've got a fantastic guest today, as you mentioned, or, mm-hmm. that we were going to chat about, uh, Mr. Andrew Roth, who by chance happens to also be a fantastic Adelaide author, Well, yes. Adelaide-based <laughs> author. <laughs> but uh, the he is um, celebrating the release, the debut release of his short story anthology, "The Teeth of a Slow Machine," and it yeah, was. I love you know, that title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It really invokes something you know I don't, it's one of those words or terms that can invoke a, a kind of like it's a weird feeling like yeah. is it is it a, is it a menacing is it quiet is it uh you know, is it a slow machine of time or is it a slow machine mm. of destruction? So I really, I, it's such an am, you know, ambiguous term. So it's mm. a fantastic title for the book, which wasn't the original title, which is something you'll discover in the uh, wonderful chat that I had the opportunity to chat with Andrew. Mm. Um, so I think he, you know, we cover so much about short stories and, and, you know, the elements to his writing and, you know, it was just a really great chance to to delve into a little bit... Of the, his craft and, and the motivations behind his craft Having had the pleasure of reading Some of the book already uh, It is, well I won't give away anything too much Because I do Don't talk about it, it in the let's interview yeah. It, yeah. So let's jump straight into the interview Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Andrew Ryan <music> Ladies and gentlemen My next spectacular guest that I've got the absolute privilege of having a chat with, has worked, or is working as a lawyer, has worked as a computer programmer, an aircraft salesman, and a mystery shopper. When not writing, he says he cooks, argues, laughs, and administers a small human, of course, as well as listening to some music. Now, this gentleman's short fiction has appeared in uh, publications such as Mean Gin, Overland, Griffith Review, and Going Down Swinging, which is just a few names uh, among many. He was the winner of the 2020 Peter Carey Short Story Award and the 2018 Margaret River Press Short Story Competition, as well as having been shortlisted and commended in many other short story prizes. Back in 2016, his very first novel was shortlisted for the Wakefield Press Unpublished Manuscript Award at Adelaide's Writers' Week, and as of March 2022... His very brand new debut short story collection called The Teeth of a Slow Machine has been officially released also through Wakeful Press And has been described as a daring, irreverent exploration of the conundrums of contemporary life and what it means to be a human Andrew Roth, thank you so much for joining us for the Australian Book Lovers podcast
1: uh, my pleasure, Darren. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me, and it's great to catch up again. And uh, what, what an intro! I, I couldn't have put it better myself. So uh, that was uh, well. That I'm was wondering great. how much.
0: Yeah, possibly some of that you did put to yourself, and maybe <laughs> possibly, possibly, yeah, yeah possibly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Don't want to tell everyone how the sausage gets made, but so, no, 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 that's
0: yeah. right. Yes, <laughs> uh, or as uh, Veronica had pointed out, the snack, which was uh, yes, yeah, that's right, one of our yeah. episodes. But how, I'm just curious: how does one go from aircraft sales, which I'm kind of trying to work out what that is anyway? To computer programmer and then to the legal profession. How is that? Uh, it doesn't sound like a typical sort of pathway to a courtroom. Yeah,
1: perhaps I just have a um, short attention span. I, I don't know, but uh, no, I, I, I studied um, I studied computer programming and law uh, at, at university, um, and, and did one and then the other basically. Uh, and and the law has taken me to um, basically a, a, a business where we invest in a few different other companies, uh, one, one of which was a, uh, a flight training school in Melbourne uh, that also sold aircraft. Uh, and, and briefly, <laughs> one of my hats that I was wearing was uh, was aircraft salesman. So um, that was a, a, a short but Pretty scary uh, <laughs> for a, a, a little while for someone who didn't know a great deal about aircraft, but I, I got up to speed pretty quickly and relied on the um, the pilots at the, the school to, um, to tell me uh, what was going on. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah, something a bit different. One of my goals in life at uh, some point is to not only learn how to fly a helicopter, but obviously, to purchase one, and I have had a bit of a look at the prices, and they're a little bit out of my league at the moment. But at least uh, if when I if that moment comes to fruition, and I do find myself shopping for a helicopter, which will probably come before any lessons, because at least then I'll have it. I can sit in it. the The learning part that can come later. But uh, maybe I'll uh, have a chat to you, and so you can make sure I'm not going to lose my uh, pants and shirt in the uh, <laughs> the transaction. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Maybe you can you can do a timeshare or something with a hundred other people, or, or or something. We'll work something out.
0: So. Oh, that, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> but then, yes, well, we'll definitely have to vet the pilots extremely well because the irony <laughs> is, I have a bit of a fear of flying, so we'll work that one out. <laughs> now, uh, before we get into all the seriousness and all the fun and all the excitement that is literature, I was just wondering if your life was current life was turned into a character on law and order as far as in your legal profession would you prefer to see yourself as a lawyer for the defense or the prosecution
1: great question you know i think uh i'd I'd probably join the defense team because i do like playing the devil's advocate and i think you know part of the part of the fun of you know being a being a lawyer is examining things from uh, from all sorts of different angles Mm. usually if 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 someone's being prosecuted um, there's a there's a a, a, you know a a fair whack of you know evidence that's that's sort of built up um, in in the case against them so um, you know you've got to uh, you've got you've got to think pretty laterally if you're uh, if you're a defense counsel I think I've I've never practiced in criminal law but um, I think I'd 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 be on the defense team and um, you know obviously in all seriousness i think um you know defense lawyers do a um, a really important job and uh can only work with with the with the facts and um you, you know they do a lot of as i understand it, a lot of guilty pleas and 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 helping clients um you know understand their their options that that may not be you know taking it all the way to the, the high court and fighting things but but mm. you know coming to coming to the realization that they've done something um that 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 isn't right, but um, making sure that that they're represented Mm when the sentencing rolls around. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> I think I'd think i be on team defence.
0: Uh, I, th- I so. agree with you. I think I would too. And I have no zero uh, experience with anything to do with criminal law or anything like that. But I do, you know, my observation from from a, uh, well, from a distance standpoint is that, uh, you know, the importance of lawyers in general, but especially defence lawyers, is, is akin to, you know, someone finding themselves on another planet with different languages and, and, and you suddenly have a best friend that's going to help navigate the waters with you and uh, try and make sure you can get home back home okay because i would you know for for most of us the inside a courtroom is as uh foreign as you know uh, an empty beach on mars isn't it really yeah
1: look absolutely it's a it's another world and and the very few times that i've appeared in court in a professional capacity it's um you know it's 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 as a lawyer who understands 80 percent of what what's going on it's it's scary but as a um as a Defendant who's never been in court before—it must be terrifying. So, um yeah, I think it's a really
0: important job. Yes, I agree. And, and yes, if I was on law and order, I'd like to be a defence lawyer. I would also like to hang out with Ice T a bit because I think it's just absolutely <laughs> crazy that a, a rap and singer songwriter who wrote uh, was it Cop Killer ended up being a beacon of morality. But he is—he is a great guy and a fun show. But nonetheless, legal stuff aside. Well, actually, no, not legal stuff aside yet. But. You mentioned a little bit about you know the the I guess the objectivity that's required in, in law, and I know that uh, recently I had the pleasure of speaking with uh, Tanya Heeslip, who is also a lawyer, and you know as part of the conversation, Tanya mentioned that some of the challenges she discovered when uh, when it came to switching from mentioned the challenge should I say uh, that she discovered when it came to. Switching, taking a legal hat off when it came to writing legal documents, and then shifting to you know fiction, so which by its nature in general is subjective. Uh, now, obviously, we don't want to go in because it's sure private matter of, of what exactly you exactly do with uh, with regards to the legal profession. But I'm wondering, is uh, between programming and the legal system or, or the law uh, world that you find yourself in. Have you found a similar challenge when it comes to, you know, moving into your short writing and being able to, or that need to be able to change hats at the turn of a dawn? Or has writing always been a part of your life and it's been no issue?
1: Yeah, look, I, I really enjoy writing, I think, largely because it does seem to exercise a different part of my brain to... What I'd call professional or technical writing, mm-hmm. uh, and and on the professional technical writing side, you know, I most of my day to day is is drafting contracts, uh, which seems to me um, a lot like computer programming. It's 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 basically um, using rules to try and engineer an, an outcome, um, and your goal in doing that is really to eliminate any sense of ambiguity or um anything unclear but uh in my creative writing i really revel in introducing ambiguity leaving space for the reader to um to interpret and and decide what they think is is going on and i love Mm -hmm. those ambiguous spaces um in and around short stories Uh, so uh i think the you know the legal writing Side of my brain in- informs the creative writing side, but it, it feels like a completely different process to me.
0: Mm. And it's interesting that you mentioned you know that that uh, contracts seem a little bit like programming. Uh, not that I have any of uh, programming experience today, but back you know when I was a kid growing up with the VIC 20 and Commodore 64 and Commodore 128, I think even the TRS 80, uh, I was right into programming back then, which I think was BASIC was the language. huge. Uh, so yep. ch- you-
1: I think you're showing your age a bit, Darren, but... Uh.
0: wow, well, I, I was little, <laughs> uh, very little. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah but, but, you know, riding right Choose yeah. Your own Adventures and stuff. But the, yeah. the funny thing was I was at a, a friend's house not long ago. He's, um, he like, builds his own little cinema and he's, he collects all antique and restores records and players and all that sort of jazz. And he had a poll of uh, the Commodore 64 magazine, so... Sitting cool. there having a flick through, and and I was like reminiscing those days where yep, they'd have a feature of a particular program that you would spend all weekend and every day after school you know, copying, and yeah. then you run you get your syntax errors, etc. But um, looking through some of the old coding, it you're right, it really does. You know, it's if this then. And if this, this. And uh, if, you know, the value exceeds this, go here. If it's less than, go here and, and those sorts of things. And it is a little bit like a contract, isn't it? I guess in a roundabout way because, like I said, it's, it's a pathway with no ambiguity.
1: Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, I've, I've tried to play with some of that structure in, in some of the short stories that I write because, you know, sometimes it's, it's interesting to really lead a reader down a very narrowly defined path, let them feel a bit claustrophobic, like they they don't have any, um, you know, that the the main character doesn't have any agency, and they're being led along this this really narrow path. Um, and you can get that effect by you, you know um, structuring a story as a piece of code, or um, you know, there's a, a story in the collection that's written in the form of a, a text-based um, you know choose your own adventure style of game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh you know thinking about options narrowing of options uh you know i, I love exploring all that sort of stuff in in my writing
0: mm, which i think you do well and uh but I, I like that sort of analogy you were hinting at there in the sense of almost like uh, taking an open mind and, and placing it within a closed environment uh where choices are limited as far as movement forward but the uh Delving into the experience of that limit, limited sort of range, becomes open-ended. Which, uh, yeah, so claustrophobic on one hand, and yet uh, can be darkly illuminating on the other. But, but d- before we dive into a lot of the intricacies of your writing and, and inspirations and motivations, I'm just curious. You know, short stories have obviously played a big part of your life for quite a while. You, you know, you've won a lot of awards. You, you're always being published in, in different sort of publications, and constantly producing. And your body work is obviously growing by the day. Uh, When it comes to, I guess, the, you know, the proverbial pen to paper process of of sitting down and writing, is it uh, something that you've, is there a, a particular discipline you've developed over time, or is it still a case of striking when the iron's hot and in any way you can get it down, get it down? And as somebody who has obviously very proficient in computers and software and programming, is there a particular software that you use for your short story creations?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I'm not a um, hugely disciplined writer, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say. And, and when inspiration strikes, um, you know, the most useful thing I find is, is the Notes app on my phone. Uh, oh, really? Just got to just get the, the basic idea down in that, in that Notes app so that it's, uh, you know, it almost feels like recording a dream or something. Um, you know, if I don't actually write it down, it'll just disappear. Uh, so I, you know, most of my stories start with a with a concept or an idea. They're not um, they're not built around a, a, a character usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it, it, you know they're, they're pretty concept dr- driven. Um, so I so I get the concept and then the the next available opportunity to get some some clear air to sit down and write. I just try and write the messiest scrappiest first outline, draft that I can get on paper. And I usually find that to be a really exciting, you know, probably the most exciting stage of, of, of writing a short story. Um, and, you know, a lot of the stories in the collection were actually written, you know, first and second drafts um, on, on aeroplanes, actually. Uh, oh, okay. You know, there was a period where I was flying to and from Melbourne, from Adelaide, you know, once or twice a week. Uh, and you spend a lot of time in airports, a lot of time mm. up in the air with nothing much to do. Uh, and if you've got a got a laptop you can just tap away and um, there's something about being in the air that it, it, it's like being at a a library or, or a you know coffee shop or something. It's just just seems to be conducive. Uh, so that that actually you know helped help me a lot. And then then the, the real kind of work begins of taking this rough outline that you've you've sort of banged together and working out how is this actually going to work as a story with a beginning a middle and an end uh where you know what is sustaining the tension through the story uh who are the characters what's the setting you know where should i start the story where should i end the story how am i going to get a a satisfying resolution Um, what Emotions and mood. Do I want to evoke uh, as we go along? What style do I want to write it in? And, and just refining. And that process can take, you know, six, six months from mm. from the first draft. Uh, so yeah, in a, in a nutshell, that's <laughs> that's my process. But but it, it, I think to answer your original question, no, I I'm, I, I'm not. I don't have a, a, a sort of regimented system or a um, routine really. Uh, I, I, I kind of play, it. <laughs> play yeah. it a bit more loosely than that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think I'd probably fall in that camp as well. Um, I think, you know, if, if I were to try and discipline myself, in the, when I say discipline in the sense of having a very regimented and structured repetitive uh, time slot and, you know, do not sway from that, it would... Uh, yeah, sometimes you just it just doesn't work, you know. Um, so, same as for when you, I think, you know, when you want to do a workout or something, some days you're just not feeling it and you're just going to do more damage. Um, and if you just change your routine around, sometimes you have the best workouts of your life, but yes. But isn't it funny, you know, you mentioned how you, you, you jot it down possibly on your phone first or, or at least get it down with the idea um, because it's a bit like a dream and, you know, even the best of dreams can, can sometimes slip away through our fingers we're trying to remember them but I've always found it really odd, and it's a question I ask a lot of people, and that is, for at least I, it, my experience, is if, if I have an idea, just the process of writing down the basics, I'd never have to pick up that piece of paper again. It's as almost as if a part of my brain has uh, marked that idea as important and not to let the uh, whatever chemicals in the neuron pathways eat it away again and let it be overwritten. Uh, is that, do you think that's the same for yourself? Like, If you pop, pop an idea down on the phone, do you find that that's now embedded in your mind because of that process, or do you um, find yourself revisiting your notes?
1: Oh, look, a- a- absolutely, there is some um, alchemy that happens when you when you when you jot those notes down, and um, I think you're right. Often, you don't actually have to refer to the written notes again. Um, there's some transfer that's happened in your brain that it's gone from, I don't know, short-term memory to long-term memory, or, or, mm. or something, or you've sat with the idea for long enough that you've got a sort of mental structure around where you want to go, but. Um, you know i'm sort of working on a story in the background at the moment and that that came from four words um in it in in the notes app of my phone if anyone else read those four words they wouldn't be able to make any any sense of them um they were basically an image of how i wanted the, the final scene to to sort of play out um but it's a you know from that um, you know, I'm, I'm up to 5,000 words already, and it'll probably be a, an unpublishable 10,000-word story. So, uh, oh, okay. yeah. you know.
0: You just um, had me intrigued about the, what the four words could possibly be, and I, was, I hope it wasn't something like, you know, uh, he's dead, pay now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it was, um, I, I can't remember exactly what the four, I could go back and look at my phone, but oh, um, I- it's, it's sort of uh, it's along the lines of, you know, matchbox car dust um hut or something like that uh and 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 that even now you know i can conjure up the the the, the scene in my mind There so,
0: we go. Um, more, more more of a uh, symbolic arrow pointing to a memory as opposed to something that's spelling out the memory
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: yeah yeah okay so now uh having read one of your recent blogs uh talking about the process of writing and, and being a writer and and you know, all the, all the work that you do do. Now, in one of the recent blogs, you did chat a little bit about how, you know, you, you felt like maybe your, uh, your writing identity was, not, was a bit of a secret, not in the sense of you want to keep it a secret, but it, you felt as though that, you know, it was a bit of a secret. I guess I can't put, you know, the, the, the words in your mouth, but you, you mentioned it was quite a bit of a secret in the sense that you weren't so sure about calling yourself a writer um, but hinted that you might try, you know, moving forward to describe yourself a little bit more as a writer. I'm just curious now that the teeth of a slow machine has now been released and the book is out there and, and people are loving it. Are you finding it a bit easier to say I am a writer?
1: Yeah, I think the I think the cat's out of the bag now and
0: uh, no more secrets, no, I think, Andrew.
1: No, that's that's it. That's it. I think the you know what I was perhaps struggling with was uh, you know I had my um, writing identity, I, I, I guess you'd say, which was around writing short stories, submitting them to Australian literary journals, talking with other writers, largely online, um, also at the local writer's centre. Um, and, and that part of my life was, was sort of quite starkly segmented away from family, friends, uh, you know, my, my day job, Um, and and those two worlds sort of never collided Um, so so the dilemma for me was well you know how do I start to talk about my writing to my you know my friends who've never read any of my work my family but the beautiful thing about launching a a book is you have a you have a launch party and all your family and friends come and, and then it ceases to be a problem anymore because they've all bought a copy of your book and they're starting to read it and uh there's no going back after that so uh, but, right. but i found it to be a really um a really lovely experience to have to have all these people who've who've not read any of my writing uh, the people that i love uh start to start to see what i've been doing you know in, mm. <laughs> locked in away in a room for the last five years mm. um and uh they've all been great they've you know been really um supportive so uh it's 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 been great
0: yeah, well, what a beautiful thing, uh, you know, obviously writing is, is a huge part of your life and I suspect has been pretty much all your life, hasn't it, by the sounds of it, um, and it is something that can, not not by choice or maybe even unconsciously, it can sort of slip into those shadow secret world, doesn't it, uh, you know, uh, I'm speaking for myself, I've got lots of friends that, you know, aren't really interested in books or writing or stuff like that, um, you know, and so it's not even a point of conversation and but that's not to say that it's you know it's, it's that secret love that i have that is just a consistent for me jobs come and go the writing's always it will always be there regardless of whether i make a penny or not um, so but it must be you know it must have felt great to like I said have that book launch and and just sort of t- tell the world that you are you know this is a, a big part of you know essentially it was a celebration of that was an important part of your life and will be and now uh, in a way it becomes an important part of other people's lives
1: yeah well you know, I think uh, it's it's just been a great opportunity to to include, you know, people uh, in, in in my life in the in the journey uh, and to celebrate with them and and like you, you know, I've got lots of friends who are not readers, not writers, uh, and you know, all you can do is 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 put it in front of them and they might. They might pick it up and read it, or they might not, and and either way is 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 fine. So um, mm. you know, but at, at least they they feel like they're included, um, and if they if they get behind it and support it, then that's great. Uh, and if it's not for them, then then that's fine as well.
0: Yeah, and you've obviously published a lot of short stories prior to the release of The Teeth of Slow Machine. But I'm just curious, is in regards to you know something like a book launch and, and really becoming, involving all your friends and family in, in such a wonderful celebration, was there also a little bit of fear or, mm, not hesitation, but a little bit of, uh, oh no, here we go, in the sense of you're revealing really openly aspects of your internal musings to to potentially an audience that may not have normally i mean because obviously people love short stories and love your top stories you know that audience to a certain degree but what about for friends and family that may not have come across literature such as yours before was there was there ever a concern that oh they're going to be right inside my mind after they get a copy of the book
1: yeah absolutely and and my um my mum, for example, uh, is is a, is a big fan, <laughs> but but she's also uh, prone to a bit of. Um, overanalyzing, so um, oh, no. she's 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 quite um, happy to kind of corner me at a, you know at a family lunch and say, "Now, with this story, what was was this about that time when you you know this uh, happened?" Oh no! Uh, so I've had to sort of navigate that, but no, 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 she's been she's been all right.
0: Although this, saying so. that, has she has she possibly illuminated any um, possible forgotten memories or incidents that may have been a trigger for a story?
1: Well, I think you know the you, you mentioned fear, and and I guess the biggest anxiety or fear you have in releasing a book is I can control the stuff that I write about that um, that I know where I know that I'm exposing a part of myself um, to the reader but every time you write a story you probably also expose a part of yourself to the reader that you didn't even that you that you never meant to or that you didn't you don't even know that you're um you're coming through on the on the page. So, mm, um, I think before the launch, uh, that was probably my fear of, what, what if this goes out and everyone points out something <laughs> you know in the text <laughs> uh, and says, "Oh, that's what that's about?" And I go, oh, yeah, it is. I didn't know that I was writing about that, but um, but that's clearly about that time that X, y, and Z happened. you know, so I didn't want to unintentionally reveal too much, but mm. uh, so far, I haven't had any uh, really dicey <laughs> conversations a lot No, before. well, I think so, I
0: mean there's a natural fear there for that if, if, with any art when you put yourself out there. But I think if anybody does bring up something and, and, and offer you suggestions, as, "Oh, maybe this triggered," or maybe uh, if on the very good side of things, that at least they've been paying attention, they've yeah. absorbed your work, and, and so that's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing.
1: It's a journey of self-discovery, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yes, or discovery for everybody involved. Uh, But now, so I understand it was last year, give or take, that Wakefield Press uh, picked it up or or, or began the process. And I was reading that Joe Case, who was an associate publisher at Wakefield Press. So Joe actually compared your collection to Matthew Baker's Why Visit America? uh, The reason being in the way its stories play with ideas through fully realised characters and worlds with an often sardonic voice that is also intensely affecting. So to, to quote Joe, the experimentation in these stories never feels forced, but instead masterfully complements the mood or theme of the story. That's a deceptively tough balance to strike. That's a word I haven't come across too often, sardonic, but I understand that at times it's used to describe, in essence, the art of revealing you know, possibly uncomfortable truths. So I was just wondering if revealing uncomfortable truths or perhaps hinting at uncomfortable truths is a theme that you maybe have some sort of uh, intent to bring to your work.
1: I think the way I probably approach stories uh, is that I don't want to make life too easy for my readers. This, this probably sounds terrible, but um, I... I do want my readers to do a little bit of work and i do want my leaders readers to to be a little bit uncomfortable with um the the action that's going on in the story and that Mm -hmm. might you know there's there's lots of ways you can achieve that but for example you might have a a viewpoint character whose kind of moral code is is a little bit suspect uh and they make decisions or they rationalize things in a way that Readers might think, "Oh, gee, that's that's a bit um, it's a bit weird." I'm not sure that you know I would do the same thing if I was in that position. Um, but the, I, I guess the the balance that you have to strike there is that you don't want your characters to be so unrealistic or unlikable that the readers have no empathy for them. Um, you know, I, I try and give my characters enough dignity uh, and enough realism that the readers are still barracking for them. Uh, even as they make some some questionable life choices, that's the that's 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 my aspiration.
0: Mm, I've read uh, I'm about halfway through the book, so I, I think as far as that goal of that you just described with the characters, I think you achieve it very well. But to sort of drill down a little bit into, I guess, just style of writing, the overall feel that I've sensed and the, well, not necessarily the themes, but yeah, the the atmosphere of your writing. I thought it was really interesting to see that Wakefield Press put up a page on their website which actually showed some of the original cover concepts for The Teeth of the Slow Machine. And with each of the, the cover concepts included a little bit of your thoughts on each one. And there was one particular cover where I think, well, to quote you, you said, the more I look at it, the more I love it. The nod to surrealism, Dadaism, suits the stories perfectly. So, which I thought that that was an interesting take uh, to you know refer to surrealism and Dadaism uh, with regards to your short stories. But I also th- believe that in reference to another one of your covers, you actually mentioned the word menace. There was a certain menace to the style, or or at least a, a, a subtle menace underlying the style. And I think that was a, a word that I really agreed with when it comes to. You know discussing your work because for me the stories that i've read so far i don't know there's i wouldn't necessarily say there's a menace from my perspective but i think for me i felt a perhaps a silent quiet unsettling promise that may or may not be broken uh, and what is unsettling about that promise remains vague and i i don't know how you did it but you do it so magically how would you describe your approach to writing? What's the atmosphere that you feel you bring for readers?
1: Uh, well, well, thanks, thanks for saying that, Darren. I I, I love that <laughs> as a um as a, as a as a summation of of some of the you know the, the moods of the the stories. Um, I think I'd like to think that yeah, the stories uh, in the collection are are a bit surreal and and are a bit menacing. Um, and I think those effects probably come from uh, a bit of an intention to have my characters a little bit off balance um, and a little bit out of control, in the sense that there are external forces at work in their universe, uh, universes um, that they that they don't fully understand and they can't fully control, and and that's the idea. I guess the the unifying theme of the stories in the collection. That's that's why we called it the teeth of a slow machine. I guess we're using that word machine in a very broad sense, that we as humans are all subject to systems and strictures uh, that we can't control, that we live inside of, um, and and we are kind of pushed around by those systems sometimes. Um, That's the menace part. But I think I've tried to balance that with this idea that just because some things are out of your control, um, or that you're living inside the machine, doesn't mean that you can't live a life of meaning uh, and, and happiness uh, and dignity. Um, and I think the characters of in the in the collection are trying to trying to work out how to how to reconcile those things that that they are not fully in control, uh, and yet they still have agency to. Um, to, to to live their lives in a manner of their choosing.
0: Mm, mm, well put. I find it fascinating when you talk about the, the you know the, that slow teeth the, sorry, slow teeth of the machine and, and that feeling of even within it we can find uh, some some representation of beauty. But I was also one of the things that surprised me is one of the tales that I read and I, I think it was the first time the actual symbolism of the slow teeth of the machine came into one of your phrases. The setting was actually a beautiful setting, and yet the story had that underlying un- unsettling feeling, which by all rights it shouldn't have had, because there was nothing there to indicate anything unsettling, and yet somehow you capture this mood. And I was, I had to put the book down and go, how are you doing this? I'm not sure how you are doing this. Um, and... Yeah, I think, you know, the dataism, I'd, I'd be curious as your thoughts, um, how dataism falls into that in the sense, obviously there's absurdity to a lot of aspects of life in general on a philosophical level, but I'm still curious, where does the desire to try, and I assume it's, there's a desire to try and encapsulate that discomfort in, without referencing the discomfort, how do you manage it and, and how did you find yourself tr- striving to do that?
1: Well, I think to to take the example of the story I think you're you, you, you're alluding to, which is. Um, obviously, obviously called... I said I want to
0: reveal too much for the listeners as far as plot, but.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no spoilers. But um, it's a, it's a story called Pigface, and and mm-hmm. as you say, it's a um, it's a, uh, a beautiful natural setting for that story. But I guess the 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 character um, in that story uh, feels o- almost as if. beautiful surrounds are are a bit of a prison for her um just because of the circumstances that she finds herself in um not literally a prison she could she could leave whenever she wanted but she feels she feels trapped um and i think it's that uh juxtaposition i guess between the um the beautiful open setting and the and the internal feeling that the character has Mm. that 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 provides the tension in that in that story um so yeah you know with the um just going back to the the the, the covers i think that well the the cover that we eventually settled on what was a a photo by a 1920s surrealist dadaist um, artist called man ray um and the photo is called the feather and it, it, it's a it's a pretty ambiguous um you know maybe menacing kind of um photograph and i, I you know i think the the cover designer um, duncan blatchford um, just nailed it. it it was just perfect for the for the collection so um uh that was was nothing to do with me it was all was all duncan's um great great work but as soon as as soon as joe and i saw that uh you know it just it just spoke to us so uh, yeah um, you know cover design would you know can be <laughs> can be nerve-wracking um okay. when it's out of your hands but uh but i i, I got so lucky i think
0: well, absolutely, it is striking. And, I, you know, I would never have picked the image as a feather, but when now that you've mentioned the source of the image, the colour scheme I can see is coming from uh, very back early photographic days, uh, that that rusty, light, rusty sort of colour. Um, but I was just curious that, it, that you did say, uh, uh, you know, when you were looking at the covers and, and on that uh, page and, and your notes and, and thoughts on each cover, that you that you did say that the Dadaism surrealism suits the stories and is that have you had a love for those sort of mediums or those expression those expressionistic forms or did you find yourself maybe your stories came first and then you realised that they they do uh, perhaps dance a little bit with surrealism and uh, some essence of Dadaism.
1: Yeah, I think that the, the stories probably came first. I'm not mm-hmm. a um, I wouldn't say I'm an art. Or art history aficionado, or anything, um, but uh, I guess mm. looking, thinking back about the stories through the lens of of those potential cover designs, uh, I think there they just seem to be a natural fit between um, the fragmented nature of some of the stories that I've written and 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 the ambiguous nature of some of the stories that I've written, and the, this this surrealist image, which in itself almost acts as a as a puzzle. Um, like, as you say, it's a, you know, it's a, the cover is a photograph of a feather, but it doesn't really look like a feather. It could mm. be a, a, fang, um, or, or, or a propeller blade or something else entirely. And I guess it just continues that theme of being really mean to, uh, to the readers and, <laughs> and not laying it all out for them, uh, letting them, um, you know, interpret as they wish.
0: Hmm. Well, if if you ask me, my initial thought of what it was—it's it, the very first thing that it struck me as this possible shadow on an X-ray, which oh captures that 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 sort of uh, hidden, unsettling promises. I think <laughs> beautifully. Yeah. Now, reading a few stories, I have to admit that um, one that's titled "Else Dash" or "Else If," um, that was absolutely fascinating. And obviously, I don't want to give anything away, but I felt like you you absolutely captured like a, a, a tragic warmth somehow uh, within what I guess is essentially a, a cold and clinical medium um, and now I'm curious for the, the, the sort of seed of that tale was that something that you had since your programming days or back in the early programming days or is it something that's come later you know looking back on your programming or you know is it is a story you've carried for a while or because it definitely felt just so perfect in, in essence that it, you know it was it was just put together so confidently and in such a unique form it was if there's ever such thing as technological surrealism that is the nail on the head for sure
1: <laughs> yeah so, so this is a story that uh is structured as a piece of computer code that that, that is actually a functional bit of code that you, you, you could run um and uh, it's it's about um, illness, I guess, and uh, it was actually this story was written and published before COVID, <laughs> but I think it, it it sort of resonates in a in a post COVID world. Absolutely, um, yeah. and and I think uh, you know again it's that contrast between the 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 messiness uh, and wildness. Um, and unpredictability of the, of the human condition and having a body that sometimes gives you ecstasy and sometimes fails you. Um, and, and there's no rhyme or reason. Um, and, and then contrasting that with, you you know, a bit of cold computer code that the main character is almost trying to wrap around the person that she loves, um, almost as a way of saying, Hey, I can, Maybe I can, if I think hard enough about this, maybe I can control the the outcomes of um, of, of, of what I worry about, which which of course is uh, no, one, no one can do that. Um, mm. and, and that. And that's the, I guess that's where the emotion comes from in the story.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was a gripping little read and yeah, my, you know, the feelings it gave me was, you know, it was a character that was using technology to try and make sense of a chaotic world and try and obviously make some form of prediction but should something happen that maybe you know isn't a good outcome then it can be a case of well it was never in the character's control regardless and that's what it felt to me and it was such a unique take but yeah technological surrealism that, that was a beautiful piece yes and it, it's funny because we're talking about earlier you know when i was reading through those uh, original basic magazines um the the commodore 64 the basic programming and you know so that was still fresh in my mind so then of course i read your story and yeah it was a, it was just a yeah it's a beautiful piece absolutely um but it was funny because i read when when i opened the book for the first time and read through the first story I was like, oh, there you go. Because back in the day, I actually wrote a short story which was basically, I don't know, a dystopian science fiction thriller based around food also. And, uh, yeah, so and I'm talking, of course, your, your story Bok Bok. And I think that one story definitely captured that sense of foreboding uh, that I was looking for too, with my story, which was but a, a very different take on the story, but still about food and dystopian. So I was thinking, hmm, maybe there's something in the water of Adelaide <laughs> that brings yeah. us both to these unsettling promises and 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 you know with the food. But being maybe that there's weird, something in
1: the fried chicken here, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well,
0: yes. Well, don't ask me about. Uh, <laughs> The reality of uh, fried chicken in Adelaide, I could tell you that off air. But uh, being that we're both uh, Adelaide boys, well, at least at the time recording, I know I've moved around a lot and probably will again, but right now we're in Adelaide. I was just wondering, are there any locations here that you tend to gravitate to when you're looking for a little bit of inspiration? Um, So, for example, you know, personally for me, I I, I think there's something pretty magical about, you know, if it's a cold, rainy day, that's when I like to hit run the mall of all the times we oddly enough. Um, there's just something about that, uh, you know, it inspires thoughts about characters and maybe themes. But otherwise, I do love, you know, Waipinga and Parsons if I can get those beaches to myself, because they allow me to just really, you know, walk along here, the surf pounding and, and dig into my plot points. What about yourself? Have you got any deep connections to any spots here in Adelaide or in our state that uh, you, yeah, if you really need a little bit of inspiration, you, you know that it's a, you know, a guarantee?
1: Yeah, I think for me it's the Adelaide Hills region. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, for listeners who aren't from Adelaide, uh, you know, you can um, from the centre of the city, you can you can drive for about 30, 40 minutes, and, and you're up in, in the in the hills, spectacular, uh, great great, yeah. great wine region, um, beautiful little towns, uh, you know, many of which were settled by um, you know German settlers in the in the nineteenth century, uh, very picturesque. Uh, very cool in the summer you know nice and green comparatively um so i i grew up um uh, as a as a child in in, in the adelaide hills uh, oh, okay in a town called bridgewater um and uh so a couple i think three three or four stories in the collection are set in the Adelaide Hills, uh, whether or not they're sort of explicitly signposted to, to occur in the hills, <laughs> so I, I I think of them as set in the hills. Um, so I think that's probably the the location that um, that speaks to me as a um, as a as a writer, some, simply mm-hmm. for you know nostalgia reasons, I guess, and, and personal um, personal attachments. But yeah, I think uh, you know the hills are a, a good setting. I think because they're they're not really you, you would never you would never call the Adelaide Hills the bush <laughs> or, no. or real country, um, but they're not quite the city either. They're this sort of liminal space, so, so I like the hills.
0: I think you've made a fantastic choice there, and, and uh, I'm a little bit jealous that you, had, that you had the opportunity to grow up there. I, uh, I go through the Adelaide Hills quite often when I head out to a property I have out of bush, and so that means, you know, from where I am down here at Seaford, that means going straight through McLaren Vale, so stunning winery then up through Achunga, or heading towards Chunga Meadows, then obviously through Harndorf, uh, Birdwood, Mount Pleasant. And I was pretty lucky not so long ago, only a month or two ago, I had a friend and his daughter come down from Central Coast, New South Wales, a really good friend of mine who I travel around Australia with. And so we were, he was following me in the car and driving up and uh, of course Harndorf is described as one of the most beautiful little towns in Australia, if not the most beautiful town in Australia. Uh, as far as picturesque and it is stunning beautiful yeah. but when we turned onto the main street as you know it's it's there's not a day where it's not busy and people everywhere and everything's beautiful but on this particular day that the breeze was so soft so as soon as we turned of course it's the start of autumn and all the hundreds of different colored leaves were just fluttering like snow oh, and beautiful. it was literally like being in a, a fairy tale and so when we got to where we were headed I, I asked my friend's daughter she's th- uh, she's 13 she said she'd never seen anything so beautiful. So quite proud. It is a spectacular, absolutely spectacular location. So, yeah, I can see why you may have been inspired to include it in a couple of your short stories.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to, you've got to pick a place and uh, it's as good a place as any. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there probably would have been some, uh, well, quite philosophical musings out there too growing up, but judging by, you know, the, the thought you've put into all your stories and the a lot of themes that you touch on, Um, So, it you know, short answer, because obviously we could talk philosophy all night. I'm just wondering, when it comes to this crazy adventure called life, do you view reality as the equivalent of a beautiful, sunny and perfect day broken occasionally by an unexpected storm? Or is life more a case of a continuous storm broken by a few small rays of sunshine?
1: Ah, what a a great question. (laughs) I think... uh... In my teenage years, I probably would have said it's it's a, it's a storm. Uh, but now that I'm a little bit older and, and maybe I've come out the other side of the the, the centre of the storm, um, you know, I think there's, there's more sunny days. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of, I was talking about this the other day and, and saying, you know, I think most of the time I have this kind of mood of um, irrational optimism um, where I, I kind of think that, Somehow we'll manage to, you know, navigate the existential <laughs> crises that that we as the human race face at the moment. Um, but so that's the optimism. Um, the, but the I, I fully recognise that I have no kind of, uh, you know, really strong evidence <laughs> to to back up that optimism, and that's the irrational bit. So um, so yeah, I would describe my um my my, my general outlook as is as, as Irrational but optimistic.
0: Irrational hope, you think? Yeah. <laughs> well, because I mean, hope, I guess, is when we can't give any justification for it. But, you know, it's, it is funny. And one of the reasons why I asked you that question uh, is because of that uh, mood, I guess, that, that atmosphere that comes with your writing. And I know, obviously, you were part of A Christmas Australis um, and the short story that you uh, were included in that anthology and that I, I don't think i've ever had a good chat with you about that one but you know funny enough yes i've written a dystopian thing about food you have we both live in adelaide but oddly enough that really resonated with me as well because um i'm born on christmas eve and um, so and i lost a uh, uh, member of my family on christmas eve and i remember you know the, just the way that the, the switch flicked from you know um, i'm in a moment of joy discovery because I was very young to you know suddenly everything changing and you know and and so that's why I was curious of your thoughts as to because that's that story really as I mentioned resonated with me because you know the chocolate was for me was like you just knew something was coming and so it was kind of like the chocolate was a ray of sunshine in the middle of the storm and for me that storm being inevitability of Life to challenge and, and make us question everything, and uh, yeah, so that's I was curious as to yeah uh, your thoughts on that one.
1: Right, yeah, no, um, uh, I I guess we've 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 never really talked about that, Darren, and um, uh,
0: which is obviously in that 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 story is included in the Teeth of a Slow Machine.
1: It is, it is, yeah, and um, and I guess uh, yeah, that that story for me is um is about how yeah how quickly things can turn um. for for anyone um uh and and it's it's it sounds like you um you've you've lived that so so i don't need to tell you that um but that uh i guess that story you know again setting wise it's christmas um the kid's obsessed with chocolate she's she's sneaking away to, to eat some chocolate you know things seem pretty light on the surface um and then and then something happens and and it's a you know, it's a different story uh, in an instant. And uh, I guess it's told from the perspective of a young child. Um, mm. So she's, she's sort of not fully processing what's happening in the same way that an adult would. Um, and, and that's, I guess, part of the story is, um, you know, I kind of wanted readers to sort of finish the story and think, oh, I, wonder, I wonder how that character will think about that day. In, in ten years' time, uh, you know, and um, yeah, that, that 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 was, I guess, what I was 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 trying to do with the story. But um, mm. yeah, I, I had no idea it was um, so, so resonant for you.
0: Dan. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it was. And uh, I should let our listeners know that the uh, the story is called "The Last Day of Christmas." Um, but I just think, you know, for for me, it was such a beautifully well played, well structured uh, piece of literature because that chocolate is the sunshine and like you said told from the perspective of a young child even the storm that's that does erupt is not a storm for the child at that time because there's no awareness so the the chocolates for me the chocolate sun so you know <laughs> push keeps the storm away to a certain degree but then over time as 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 wisdom grows as knowledge grows as as we you know grow older so to speak then that sunshine becomes the beam becomes smaller and smaller and you know so that's one way to look at it i suppose the way i do so i'm on the fence of whether it's whether we're a sunbeam in a storm or whether you know you know life is a is a big one big sunbeam with a couple of like ugly little storms thrown in, but uh, yeah, I, lo- I love the fact that you know reading some of your stories really pushed me to question a couple of those things. So, and well, equally, I think the, um, you oh, know,
1: the, you, you mentioned that, that it was originally published in the um, the anthology uh, that 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 you and Veronica also um, participated in Christmas mm, Christmas Astralis, Astralis. Um, yeah. which was a, a, an anthology of uh, Christmas related uh, spine
0: tinglingly. that's
1: right spine tingling Christmas stories (laughs) Um, and but 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 Christmas is a really interesting um, concept and setting I think for stories because you can take it in a in a really uh, snowman and and cake and happy family times direction or or you can take it in a really dark surprising direction and it kind of works Mm. equally well for for both um, for both approaches so and and that and that uh, Anthology is, is you know just full of such such variety uh it's a, it's a wild it's a wild ride so I, I love being a part of that
0: definitely and i mean if, if there's a one word we can describe christmas as pretty much or anywhere that it's celebrated on the planet is emotional and it could be mm-hmm. you know fun emotion good emotion sad emotion depressing emotion but it's definitely a heightened sense of emotion at that time of the year so yeah perfect perfect opportunity to explore and i think you know that 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 really was like the, the the proverbial red wine stain on a white dress wasn't that, that uh you know christmas being the white dress and so you can really bring out some uh, interesting uh yeah reflections and art so obviously philosophical music is very important so i've got one other question and this is probably the biggest of them all you are an adelaide man are you a crows or port supporter
1: that is a that is a very big question, and <laughs> and obviously I'm about to lose half of my Adelaide readership, no matter what I answer. But uh, Ooh, look, I'm
0: Trev lightly.
1: I'm i a um I'm a sort of a crows a crows supporter most of the time, um, but I'm a pretty uh, fair weather kind of AFL supporter, I must say, because I was actually um, I was born in Sydney. Uh, oh, moved, okay. moved over to Adelaide when I was you know twelve months old. Um, so I don't remember much Sydney, but, but my family is a big rugby union family. So um, I'm a I'm an absolute crazed rugby union fan, and oh. um, I can sort of take or leave AFL. Uh, but you know, um, if when the Crows are doing well, I, I I tell people I'm a Crows fan, and when they're not, I kind of. Um, yeah. <laughs> Shrink back into the woodwork. So,
0: well, I mean, I'm a little bit similar. Again, similarities are popping up. I was born in Geelong, so, and then moved over here. So, you know, technically, I'm Melbourne boy. But, uh, oh, hey, I'm a South Australian fan, so I like to see the Crows or Port win. Um, if if it's Port and Crows, may the best team win. But otherwise, you know, let us let our fair little state take on the rest of Australia. How you can be a rugby supporter? I, that's that's for a whole other philosophical debate. <laughs> I've lived in. You know, uh, on and off in Queensland for way more than ten years. i tried so much to get into the rugby, and when it was twenty-two to two, and it's quarter time, and there's no chance of getting back. It seems to be the uh, the, the continuing theme. I'd try and get in the game, and think, but why am I going to keep watching? They've won already. <laughs> so, but I'm sure that was me bringing uh, probably quite a few bad games. But no, obviously it's huge over there in, in New South Wales and in Queensland. Yeah, it's an and it's an
1: acquired taste. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you that.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Well, bring on all the transport. But look, okay. So the teeth of a slow machine is now out, and I think is it seventeen stories in in the volume?
1: That sounds about right. Yeah,
0: sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, you must be super proud. And but I'm wondering when it comes to our listeners, I wonder if you might be able to share just the journey that resulted in being published by Wayful Press. You know, the submission and and you know how it felt to be you know find out that it was something that's going to happen and how did it all come all the pieces come together
1: yeah so uh, i guess the story starts with um with a guy called martin shaw who's my literary agent uh so i I sort of got in touch with martin um i think after you know one of the sort of short story competition wins uh and and said hey martin i've got this you know collection of stories um Mm -hmm. would, would you mind taking a look and you know maybe with a view to, to representing me. Uh, and Martin graciously did agree to take a look. Uh, and he said, no, they're, they're not there. Um, sorry, you know, let's keep talking, but uh, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. I went away for a year and um, wrote some more stories and chucked a few and mixed the order around. Uh, and I and I came back to Martin and said, Martin, I've, I've had another go. Um, took on board the feedback he gave me last time I, I think I think the collections here now um, and he said look I, I will read it again um, I don't generally read things a second time and I never read anything a third time so are you sure that this is ready well wow, that's um, interesting and uh, and I said gulp uh, yeah I think <laughs> I think it's there <laughs> um, and, and, and thankfully Martin um, Martin agreed. Uh, and said, "Yeah, look, uh, let me let me see if I can help you find a publisher," um, which uh, which he then um, you know spent probably almost a year trying trying really hard to do, and and worked worked super hard for me. Um, uh, and and he's he's just such a champion of I guess you know unsung writers in Australia. So um, so. Uh, you know, really grateful to to Martin, my my agent, mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. eventually um, Martin connected up with with Joe Case from from uh, Wakefield Press uh, and got it in the hands of Joe and, and she read it um, and said, yeah, let's uh, let's do this, uh, and she she sort of uh, showed it to the rest of the team at at, at Wakefield Press, Michael Boland, the um, the publisher, and and yeah, they they agreed to pick it up and, and give it a run. Uh, and it, it probably took about a year to, uh, to edit, uh, the, the title changed a lot. The order of the stories changed a lot. Um, I think a couple of stories got, got sort of, uh, left behind. I, 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 wrote a couple of news stories in that time. Um, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of work to do, uh, but I'm really proud of, uh, of the final, final product and it wouldn't be, um, as, as, as strong of a collection without, uh, without Wakefield's support and Joe's expert editorial eye,
0: well, Wakefield House are pretty much an uh, institutional powerhouse here in South Australia, aren't they? Yeah, So you, yeah. you must be, yeah. What, what a fantastic uh, opportunity to be published with them. But you mentioned change in title. So I origin, I understand the original title was Third Heaven. Is that right?
1: That's right. And there was a there was a sort of um, I guess a, a narrative framework that tied all the stories in together. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was, was one of the things that got jettisoned during the edit oh, really? process, uh, and I, and I think for um, for good reason, um, you know, in hindsight, Joe uh, Joe jo said I I don't think we need this, and, and she was absolutely right. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, titles are titles are tricky. I, I, I always struggle with story titles actually. So uh, uh, the title for the collection was was even harder, but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we got there
0: well I think on uh, all things considered it's yeah it's a difficult thing to do but I can guarantee uh, it's easier than if you're in a band because that usually (laughs) you can spend months writing the music rehearsing but when it comes to you know titling a track that's where the people that's where you end up having fights and it can get pretty violent so yes picking a name obviously is is a big part of the the process but what sort of uh, publicity have you got plans between yourself and and Wakefield press and moving forward it's uh it's been a couple months but uh, obviously it's only it's just got out there and uh it's got its wings and traveling around the world have you got any special events planned or different marketing approaches
1: yeah so we had we had a we had a Bit of a launch party at the um at the we chief hotel in uh, in adelaide oh, nice. uh, back in back in march so just a, a sort of pretty small thing but uh, but that was nice and um and since then i guess uh, i've been been sort of lucky enough to um to have had a few reviews of the collection uh in in newspapers and online so that's been that's been really nice and and, and thankfully they've all been kind of nice reviews so um you know that's that's good a good thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, just uh, you, you know, trying to do a few interviews and podcasts and uh, get get the word out, you know, pretty pretty organically. Um, and I know some of the independent bookstores in in Adelaide and elsewhere are are carrying the book, and, and I'm really grateful to 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 everyone who's who's got it on the shelves. Uh, so so that's been great, and and hopefully, you know, a few writers' festivals um, over the next year or so. Uh, mm-hmm so yeah yeah the life of a, a debut <laughs> short story writer very, very glamorous you know i'm not uh not buying the yacht or the aircraft just yet but
0: uh well like you said we'll get just a hundred of us together we'll get a helicopter yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, and has this really ignited the an, an acceleration in your writing process? Are you have you already banging out the next volume, or is it um, you want to focus more on getting this into everybody's hands? And you know, wh- where are you at, at the moment when it comes to your writing now that this is taking off?
1: Yeah, look, you know, um, the, the, the the new writing um, has probably slowed, if anything, because um, you know, trying to do a, a bit of promotion for for this book. Um, has, has sort of taken some time. Um, you know, I've, I've got a, a three year old and a one year old at home that <laughs> take mm-hmm. up a lot of a lot of my time at the moment. Uh, so um, writing kind of takes you know a, a third place behind family and and, and my day job um, mm-hmm. most of the time. So I'm I'm kind of hoping I can I can get back into it in a in a serious way. And I'm I'm working on a um, a novel manuscript at the moment that I've got a sort of first draft of. But, so, okay. But I really need to to crack, um, crack on and and try and uh, produce something a bit more polished. So that's the, the current project.
0: Well, it's a beautiful thing about writing, though, isn't it? The actual tapping on the keyboard or writing it down—that's kind of the end part. There's a lot of just reflecting and and building. That you know, you plant the seed, the garden grows in your mind, and. You know, at any given time, you're standing there waiting at the checkout or, you know, on a train, wherever you might be, where you, or at an airport, you know, sitting in the departures lounge or on the plane. It's just, a. I think that's one of the beautiful things about being a rider is, is that ability to just go into that forest, or it might be just a seedling, gardening, whatever it might be at that stage, and walk around and start, you know, flexing this way and that way and just thinking about this plot. Point this, you know, direction, this theme, this character. It's it's a living, breathing thing inside your mind, isn't it? And, and by the time the words come down, uh, that's the end journey. So yeah, even though you've got by the sounds of a, you know, three year old, one year old, lots of lots of things getting in the way of the tapping on the keyboard, the the actual story writing can happen anywhere, and that's a, it's such a beautiful gift.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and um through all of that excitement, I don't think there's a you know, a day that goes by that I'm not thinking about writing and thinking about stories and, and thinking about um, what I want to do next with the with the novel. So as you say, you you, you can write anywhere at any time, but it's it's just a mental process and, and you know the next opportunity you get to actually tap away at a keyboard, um, you you come prepared and and, and it's great.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, we've probably got a lot of listeners out there that are either working on short stories or about to take the plunge on short stories. And I know that, uh, you know, quietly in the background, I've been working on a short story portal on the website, which I'm really hoping is going to be out in the next week or two. Fantastic. Going to be, yeah, I hope it will be super fun and give opportunity for, you know, read book lovers to enjoy a, a quick read, whether on their transit or whether they just want to download it for later. or And obviously give people a chance, authors out there, a chance to get their work uh, flex ideas and, and pop them up. So I'm just wondering when it comes to... You you obviously had a big journey. You, your body work is always increasing. I'm just wondering along this journey that's led to, you know, today with your book published and people all around the world shortly about to enjoy it, was there anything you've learned a lot, along your journey from writing short story writing and even novel writing that surprised you or that you wish you'd known at the start?
1: I think um, short stories are wonderful because you're not limited to one all-encompassing project that takes you years and years uh like it like a novel is you can have you can have a couple on the go um and you know i think i think what i've what you what you develop as you keep writing short stories is a sort of a sense or a gut feel of whether a story is actually working as a engaging story or not um, and it's 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 a terrible feeling when you've you know spent a month writing a four thousand word story uh and you've thought about structure and you've thought about the narrative arc and um you've tried to include tension and you've tried to make the characters believable and you've you spent a lot of time on it um but sometimes there's just no no juice there and so i think the you know the wisdom that comes with um with writing a lot of the things is look you know some of them just work and they're like electricity uh and, and some of them just fall flat um and that's okay and that's okay and and you know as you say 17 stories in the collection but um they were probably chosen from 50 stories wow. that i've written um that w- were written to a sort of pretty polished stage and and you know it's it's frustrating when you submit stories to competitions and journals and they don't get picked up um but that's valuable feedback and and every rejection is a um <laughs> once you once all the swearing's done and the um, <laughs> the, 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 the sobbing into your laptop uh, once all that's over it it, it it is an opportunity for learning and reflection and thinking oh, yeah okay what well, this clearly doesn't work, uh, but why? Why doesn't it work? Um, mm. And and the next thing you write will be better.
0: Yeah, and especially when you've got a volume of work, then you know, because obviously, if you work on one or two pieces and and they may not get the reception that you're hoping for, that can that can be pretty painful. But I'm guessing, or or, or you know, that when you've got a, quite a big body of work, then okay, you can sort of stand back and have a look and go, okay, why was did these work and why did these not work? And that knowledge, then you know, you become self-aware while you're creating the news stories, and like you said, you, you realise that mm, this isn't working, and uh, it's so yeah, gaining a lot of knowledge in in that process, definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, it wouldn't be wouldn't be fun if it was too easy, would it? You, you, you've got <laughs> to have a right. few setbacks uh, oh, along the way. Hundred uh, percent makes the makes the wins all the more delicious. So. A-
0: absolutely, absolutely. Now. As your body of work is growing and growing, and your new book out is sorry, your new book is out. Look, it's getting a bit cold, moving into uh, winter here in Adelaide, but I'm sure there's still chances and opportunities for a, a party or two. Hopefully, even if it's like a little early night party. But I'm wondering, the next time you're at a party and someone asks what you do, are you now ready to shout, "I'm a writer"?
1: Absolutely, yes, yeah, excellent. I'm a, I'm a short story writer. I've got a book out. You should buy a hundred copies.
0: There we go, perfect. <laughs> and in uh in a, if you had to sprook the, uh, the the book for our listeners out there, what can you? What, what subtle promises can you offer as far as uh, when they delve into the pages of your work? Subtle promises.
1: Look, I think you'll. Um, I'd like to think that readers will laugh. They'll they'll feel angry. They'll feel sad. Um, they'll feel confused, uh, and ultimately. Uh, they will have the opportunity to draw their own conclusions about the stories and the characters within them.
0: I think that's a pretty solid, subtle promise. And I think, uh, like I said, I'm about halfway through, but already that uh, definitely... Sounds pretty accurate to me. And, you know, just some wonderful writing, some absolutely stunning little pieces in there. And uh, just congratulations on the release of Teeth of a Slow Machine. And, you know, thank you so much for joining us for the Australian Podcast, Australian Book Lovers Podcast, should I say. So, Andrew, where can our listeners discover more about both yourself and, most importantly, where they can buy a copy of the book?
1: Yeah, look, you can buy a copy of the book uh, at the Wakefield Press Website. Um, it's also on, you, you know, stocked by most of the on, big online retailers, Booktopia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and your local independent bookshop will either have it on the shelf right now, or um, we'll be able to order it in for you. So, um, so if you have a favourite bookshop, uh, please, please do support them. Um, and you can find me. Uh, Online, I mostly hang out on Twitter. Uh, uh, My handle is Roth writes or one word R O F F and and writes. Um, And I'm also on Instagram uh, and I've, and I've got a website if you Google me. So uh, yeah, hit me up and um, love to always love to talk books and writing.
0: Well, Mr. Author. Andrew Roth, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and for sharing all of the inspiration and motivation and, you know, the, the little uh, intricacies that have brought all of your writing to the world, to all of our listeners out there. Thank you so much. I wish you nothing but the best for the release of Teeth of a Slow Machine, which is now out. and. I think that's probably going to be the first of many volumes and hopefully we see also the novel that you're working on won't be far off as well. But otherwise, thank you so much and take care and all the very best for yourself and your family for 2022.
1: Thanks, Darren. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure and and, and thanks to you and Veronica for for making the space for uh, debut debut, uh, writers like like me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been great.
0: Well, may it be the uh, first of many discussions on the podcast, and um, maybe even be part of future uh, panels. And let us see if maybe in the near future there may be a a coffee and literary catch up in the beautiful Harndorf in the Adelaide Hills.
1: Uh, I think yep, that's a date. Yep. And then we'll
0: do a we'll, we'll do a, a quick little photo and make the rest of Australia jealous of uh, all those people that aren't in South Australia anyway. But uh, so beautiful. and to Veronica when she's listening to this uh, interview, uh, I did promise that we wouldn't. Talk or make jokes about the weather in Victoria. So there we go. I didn't say anything about their <laughs> their funny, we'll, funny we'll, just cold leave, uh, we'll just leave a minute of dead air here. You know, yeah, just, that's uh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> let that cold wind of summer come through. Yeah, no, that's, it, that's it. No, thanks so much, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure, and really look forward to having the opportunity to chat with you again soon. Cheers, Dan. Take care.
2: So excellent chat by the Adelaide lads, you and Andrew Roth. Thank you very much, Andrew, for your, your time and your uh, really generous input into all of the, the ways that you discovered your writing, kept going with your writing, uh, You know, got support from so many different people, had your you know family. I like that your mum likes your stories, but she tries to corner you to uh, <laughs> work out what the meaning is. That's good to hear. And one of the things that struck me was when... Andrew mentioned shifting hats or you know changing lanes shifting writing hats uh, because you know as a practicing lawyer he does a lot of contract work and technical and professional writing and then there is a different part of you that then goes oh okay now you have to change and be a creative writer writing fictional stories or putting ideas down in lots of different and innovative ways as opposed to a really technical template driven kind of writing And I know that I have felt that myself and not only difficulty writing, you know, health reports and and all of those kind of things and project management stuff for decades, then to try and write creatively. It took a long time for me to loosen up, I guess is the thing. But I've had an interesting experience of late where it's been the other way where I've just recently had to write a report for a client. And in the first draft, my colleagues who were doing the, the beta reading, I guess you could say it, um, were going, oh, I think that's a bit, you know, superfluous, like I am have a, a swathe of ideas and I had all of this beautiful uh a little bit of adjectival overflow perhaps and also some of the the verbs were perhaps a little bit more um fiction based than factual based so yes I did have to tone down my creative voice to put it into a more professional time so that was interesting to know that yeah a lot of people are out there trying to do that changing creative writing hats
0: yeah yeah certainly and I mean I don't do a lot of you know, neutral writing—the sense mm-hmm. of, of of sort of in, industry or legal writing—but having worked in banking on and off for a few years, mm-hmm. and uh, being—I guess I was, for want of a better word—you know, going through contracts and legal agreements and and um, loan agreements and all sorts of stuff to, to ensure that there was no issues at all prior to settlement i mm-hmm. got uh, very used to spending all day going through you know these clinical documents and got reading through everything whether it's the probate documents or all sorts of different documents mm. and you know it if, when i look back at it, i realized that that writing i appreciate those sorts of writing because it's got to be written my feeling is that that sort of stuff is written in to invoke the idea that nobody has written it, if that makes sense, there is mm. no personality mm. behind the writing. Yes, it, it, is, an, it is just a yeah. neutral entity that quite, could have been written by a computer. Yes, um, whereas of course you know any other any sort of creative writing, there is a, a voice behind it. There is a person behind it, and, and that's
2: important when you're reading. Mm. Is you know as we talked about audio uh, voices earlier, but the writer's or the author's writing voice, you know, you want to hear it. You want to know. Whether it's a, a light-hearted thing or whether it's a you know a deeply um, esoteric discussion of the meaning of life, yeah, yeah, all of those things need to be there. So tell me, what was your what one of your big takeaways from Andrew's interview?
0: Well, one, I, I like the idea of us meeting for coffee in Hanover uh, at some point to <laughs> discuss uh, time-sharing helicopters. But <laughs> besides, <laughs> besides that, uh, no, I, I liked uh, the opportunity to chat a little bit about. I guess subtle promises, or mm. uh, if, if, well, directly relating to the conversation with Andrew, we were t- talking about unsettling promises. But um, you know, whatever adjective you turn to use, I like the idea of short stories, stories, books, novels, mm-hmm. poems, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, how they are before you, as a reader, dive into them. You know what. There's that that moment in time when you look at a book read a description or you know read the first couple of lines of a poem, whatever it might be that draws you in to then follow it through and and dive into all that there is to be found within the story or mm-hmm. the pages. Mm-hmm. There's I feel like whether we're aware of it or not, as authors and as book lovers, there's some sort of subtle communication going on as a promise, like mm-hmm. read me and I promise to uh, at least try to invoke you know, these particular emotions in you or to ignite these areas of your imagination or to, you know, to to make you feel this way or to make Mm -hmm. you contemplate um, or maybe they, you know, these subtle promises to invoke a particular stylistic experience. So, for example, a description may hint at, you know, a a world dripping with surrealism, which, uh, of course, I'd be then sitting down and I'll get... I'll dive into those pages. Um, <laughs> yep, or likewise yep. with a good horror book, you know, mm. it, uh, it it promises it might promise a whole, you know, a, a certain aspect of of the horror experience. Because mm. there may be a horror experience that I don't particularly, you know, care to waste my time on. So there's that unique promise that comes with writing, and I think that that promise, whether it's spoken, unspoken, hidden, or whispered, it's such a beautiful magic uh, because it's kind of that moment where two minds meet you know where i'm in a bookshop or i'm in a library or a second hand bookshop or wherever it might be looking or even scrolling on the internet uh for digital books that it might be a cover that that sends a subtle promise to me and again Mm -hmm. i think it's a subtle promise in the sense of a promise that may or may not be kept but there's that subtle promise of a particular "Mm, deal and so the mind of the reader through their art through the cover through their description that's that initial meeting and and so my mind meets their minds and is it going to be a relationship that we're going to embark on and it comes down to the promises made by the author so i i found it really fascinating and and of course as discussed in in the conversation with andrew you know I've, i think his work really does offer an unsettling promise uh mm. and and delivers in just such a sometimes dark but it's such a beautiful and stunning way but yeah i, I just loved uh, it, it made me really appreciate and, and sort of think for a while on that subtle promise that you know as a writer i i you know do i suppose you know i guess i focus a little bit when i worry about designing you know covers and stuff like that obviously i want to send out a little bit of a promise and, and try and capture somebody's attention with the description of the story but as a as a reader as well I. I've realised that, you know, there's that mo- there's that brief window where the promises or communications shared that will make or break my decision to go ahead and dive in. So it's a unique, yeah, I think it's yes. just one of those magical relationship aspects of uh, reading and writing.
2: Which segues me perfectly into one of my quotes for today. Du, oh, du, du.
0: oh what, what did you <laughs> pray tell? Pray, pray tell. Quotes on. So <laughs> I
2: really, the quotes were about short stories because I, I did... You know, enjoy, Andrew, talking about short stories. I've recently listened to some teaching by N.K. Jemisin, an American science fiction and fantasy author, talking about, you know, really getting your writing chops through putting short stories together. And I read her um, How Long Is It a Black Future Month. Again, another great anthology of really good short stories. So this is by a quote by Emma Donoghue, who is an Irish-Canadian playwright. Literary historian, novelist and screenwriter. And she says the great thing about a short story is that it doesn't have to trawl through someone's whole life. It can come in glancingly from the side.
0: Mm, yeah, that's cool.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's kind of a little bit what you're talking about in terms of um, you know, subtle messages and those kind of things is that you can just slice off a little bit of somebody's life, give them a window with a short story and just have that message when the story is well done really clearly placed in front of you. So, yeah, there you go. What quote have you got for us today and where did you get them from?
0: I'm not going to log on them from the internet. No, I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> well, I yeah. guess yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I based my quotes today, well, around surrealism, uh, ah, a subject that I love dearly or yes, an art form that I love you dearly. Do. You know what? I'll I think
2: you need to have a surrealist panel and get a few more people on to talk about it. And it will be interesting to see if... Our listeners love it. Because well, well, I, I know some will, but, yeah, how many of them mm. uh, get right into it?
0: Well, I think that would have to be a video one because we'd have to have, you know, for example, uh, one of the guests might be a goat with purple-coloured <laughs> perm and uh, flashing sunglasses, and uh, I might talk, but I'll have my voice coming backwards rather than forwards. It'll be very, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, word.
2: good luck editing that one. I'm not volunteering for that episode at all.
0: All right, what is your quote, So my first quote is Surrealism is destructive But it destroys only What it considers to be shackles Limiting our vision Mm. And that is by Of course I'm going to start with none other than Mr Salvador Dali Of
2: course, yes
0: I like it It destroys destroys only what it considers to be shackles Limiting our vision yeah.
2: Yeah. Broadened horizons.
0: There, there was a really, I'm not sure if I've talked about this before, but there is Well, there is an experience you can do. It's a 3D uh, VR, 3D 360 VR experience, mm. which is actually on YouTube, of all things. So if you do have a uh, some sort of uh, virtual reality device out there, jump on and have a look. Um, but essentially, it, you go into the mind of Salvador Dali. And so it's like walking into, you're inside uh, ever evolving animated paintings by the artist and it is haunting scary at times but uh absolutely stunning so yes there you go but uh, salvador Dali, very good T- all right tell me your second one robert. my
2: second one is from another canadian writer who is in fact a science fiction writer but that's okay we love science fiction writers so this is robert j sawyer and robert's quote is a short story is the shortest distance between two points a novel, is the scenic route.
0: Oh, I like that. Yeah. Definitely.
2: Yeah, I I thought that was quite good. And that is exactly right. It takes a lot of skill. People so often say, oh, it was only a short story. It wouldn't have taken you long. (gasps) No! It often takes months and years to get a short story right because you have to pare away absolutely everything that you don't need and just have that message and that setting and that character so clear with every word being important not perhaps quite as particular as a picture book where you only get like you know 12 72 words depending on how big your book is but yeah that's a toughie so thank you yeah i saw you for that one
0: i think there are two completely unique styles of writing i mean like you said a short story yeah of course okay by word count it's smaller but you know when you're writing a novel um you've got the opportunity to, you know, attempt over several paragraphs sometimes to, you know, highlight a, an aspect of the story or, or or capture emotion or whatever it might be. You, you don't, you're not uh, limited to one sentence. But in a short story, you might be trying to capture three pages in eight words just to, mm. as part of one sentence. And I think of it sometimes as like, uh, well, for music lovers out there, You can listen to, you know, crazy lead guitars and all this intricacies, but then, you know, if you listen to a Pink Floyd song on the lead, you know, often the lead that uh, Gilmore will do on something like that. It may only be four notes, but that is the toughest four notes to come up with. And that's why there's only a handful of people that can play like him because it's easy to play a hundred notes. And you know a lot of them are going to sound good. It's very difficult to play four notes where none of them have the abilities, uh, have the option to sound bad, mm. and, and the relationship mm. has and it, and it has to be you know it becomes under the spotlight. So yeah, two different two different styles, I think. Yeah, and, and absolutely both, on point. Both have magic to be found, and uh, I'm sure both have stressful aspects of writing. Yeah,
2: for sure. You must have a second quote for us.
0: Oh, I do indeed. And it is from uh, Rene Magritte, who uh, I'm not sure what Rene did because you know how thorough my research is. Karen. My <laughs> but Rene says to be a surrealist means barring from your mind all remembrance of what you have seen and being always on the lookout for what has never been.
2: There you there go. go.
0: Yes. So imagine the unimaginable, or sorry, I'll say that again, imagine the unimaginable or imagine all things that have not yet been imagined is how I take it, and then your quest will uh, surely take you into, you know, crystal castles of of surrealism.
2: Oh, yeah, I got a really nice quote about crystals in eyes, but it's a science fiction one. Nothing to do with this story. Just reminded me. However... What we do need to remind our listeners is that if you are an Australian or Indigenous author and you'd like to list your book for free, then head to australianbooklovers.com forward slash for authors and send us all your details. If you're a reader and you'd like to receive our semi-regular newsletter, I have got one in the wings but we're just waiting until we got Andrew's episode sorted. Uh, then you can receive our newsletter, which is full of excellent Aussie-authored books and always one or two books to give away. So jump on the website and join us at australianbooklovers.com forward slash booklovers and subscribe. Now, if you want to hear or find out more, you can just go to the website, australianbooklovers.com, and Darren changes the weekly, or sometimes I sneak in and change it when he's really busy, the Features of the week, the latest editions and, of course, you can go through all the genres and don't forget to look for our gorgeous little quacker, who is on our humour genre. So you can find us on the web, Twitter at Australian Books, Facebook and Instagram at Australian Book Lovers. And really that's it from us and we'll wind up and leave you with a fabulous book review by our now semi-regular book reviewer, Naomi Shippen. So thank you, Naomi. Stay tuned and you'll hear that. But Darren, what do we need to do now? We need to say, take well, care
0: for now. But, and, but how are we going to do this one? Oh, well, maybe we just do it. No, I'm thinking, can we be a slow machine? Oh, all right. So we'll have to do... A vacuum
2: cleaner, a mm. sewing machine...
0: No, some
2: kind of slow machine, some
0: cosmically industrial, uh, half organic, half mechanical, Ah. somewhat rhythmic, oiled and greased and electric lit machine that speaks ever so slowly, and maybe, uh, and uh, well, with the power of. Your fabulous editing skills
2: that are getting better for a and better, while and
0: <laughs> playing with all crazy effects it just may work or it just may not. Um, but I'm thinking if we talk real slow, okay, I could, I could do something good.
2: We could do that. All right. So our sign off is to take care for now and remember to
0: real. uh, (laughs) Good luck with that one I'm reserving my (laughs) judgement until the the final product (laughs) Thank you everybody so much for joining us for the uh, fantastic episode number 58 Can't wait to have you join us for the next episode. In the meantime take care.
2: Bye for now
3: Hi, this is Naomi Shippen. I love writing in all its many forms, blogs, book reviews, and even novels. Women's fiction, suspense, and domestic noir hold a special fascination for me, but when I need a change of pace, I turn to one of Sandy Barker's delightful travel romances. Sandy's novels take me away to a world of exotic locations and sumptuous food, where there is plenty of fun and romance. Today, I'd like to review my personal favourite Sandy Barker novel, The Dating Game. While I know that reality TV isn't quite real, I was not prepared for the revelations I found in The Dating Game. The deception begins right from the start, with the contestants, known as the Does, arriving one by one in chauffeur-driven limousines, fresh from their fabulous lives in the outside world, or so the makers of the show would have us believe. In reality, the Does are already billeted within the walls of the manor, and the chauffeur is merely taking them on laps of the driveway. But the scam is about to be blown wide open by our girl Abby. Roped into the muckraking assignment by the lifestyle mag she writes a weekly column for, this intrepid reporter goes deep undercover. She infiltrates the ranks of the doze to get the inside dirt on what really goes on when the cameras stop rolling. Abby sends intelligence to the outside world from a secret location hidden deep within the bowels of the manor. Her missives take the form of weekly recaps written under the pseudonym of her acid-penned alter ego, Anastasia Blabbergasted. However, this double agent has a secret mission of her own, to write an in-depth expose on the exploitative nature of contests like The Stag, and so launch her career as a serious investigative journalist. But when things start to get real, with friendship and true love at stake, Abby considers aborting the mission she was forced to accept. While lighthearted and fun, there is always something more going on beneath the surface of Sandy Barker's stories. Her characters are real and relatable and Sandy tells their stories with humour and grace. Pick up a Sandy Barker novel and you'll find yourself cheering on her leading ladies as they traverse the globe in pursuit of their best lives and of finding true love. Let's meet again, where magic
2: happens. Australian Book Lovers acknowledges First Nations peoples and recognises their continuous connection to country, community, and to culture. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and honour the sharing of traditional stories passed down through generations. We're committed to a safe and inclusive welcome for authors and readers of all cultures and backgrounds, including people of LGBTQIA communities and their families.